Hello and welcome to the Life Unscripted podcast, the podcast that invites you to break free from the ordinary and embrace the extraordinary journey of self-discovery and empowerment. Join us as we dive deep into conversations with experts, thought leaders and real people, sharing their insights, stories and practical tips to help you navigate life's challenges and seize its opportunities. So whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, your daily workout or your quiet moments of reflection, get ready to embark on an incredible journey of self-discovery and transformation. Go and hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode and join us as we create lives that are authentically ours, unscripted and limitless. This is Life Unscripted and your story starts now. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Scott. Um, Can you introduce yourself to me and everyone listening, please? Uh, Hi, I'm uh, Paul Robinson. And I'm a, what am I? I'm a special needs teacher, secondary, and I also do a bit of singing on the side as a, as a Vegas Elvis tribute. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a dad of two, two boys, two twin boys who are now 16. Um, yeah, I'm just getting on with it, you know what it is. Um, when we were talking in the kitchen a minute ago, mm-hmm. you said you're, um, you're, you're, not, you're from up north, so tell me about... Oh, well, it's like, because I was actually born in Belfast when I was, uh, I lived in Belfast when I was 12. And then we moved uh, from Belfast to Bradford, uh, which is where my dad's from. My dad's um, ex-military, he's in the R. That's how he met my mum, mum's Irish. And then we moved to Bradford, and Bradford was a, yeah, that was a culture shock for me. Um, My dad's family's very different to my mum's family. Um, And... uh, yeah, so Bradford, Bradford was never really a good fit for me, I guess. Um, so as soon as I finished my A-levels, I went and did, went to uni. I ended up, that's why I'm in Northampton. So did a degree, did a law degree for some reason. No idea why. That's <laughs> <laughs> a waste of time. And then, uh, yeah, just stuck around here, you know. So and you can't hear, that we were saying, you know, when I was teaching, when I was trying to qualify to teach, the, the, my mentor at my second placement, place in Wellingborough, um, said there's no way you're teaching with an, with that that accent so I just I was terrified I, I wanted to be an English teacher so bad do you remember um, Dead Poets Society Robin Williams film no do you know why I, just I haven't watched that no yeah it's a great film but that's like when I first watched that so I watched that when I was well, I would have been I don't know was that late 80s early 90s but when I, I was really inspired, I was like, I want to be an English teacher, you know, because it was stupid from that film. And then, uh, and so, yeah, that really, I really wanted to be that big, lively English teacher, you know, because the teachers in my school in Bradford, there's a place called uh, Ravenscliff Upper School. I think it was officially the worst school in Britain. See, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> look at I don't know, two years after I left, they, uh, they knocked it down. <laughs> And it's, uh, it's a medical centre now, but it was like, it's a school and it was in the middle of like three, no, two huge council estates. And Ravenscliff was like, I mean, Belfast it came from a place called Tully Carnet, Um was, uh, yeah, it was, I loved it though, but it was, it was, de- you know, it was like because of the troubles. I yeah. I didn't really realise. I remember coming to Bradford and seeing a policeman for the first time. With the little the yeah, hat, yeah, and I remember thinking, and I was like, I remember saying to whoever I was with, "What's what's he going to do if you quick?" Because in Belfast, it's it was um, 
you know, two coppers, machine guns, bulletproof vests, very intimidating. Uh, armoured, there's kind of grey armoured, uh, like Land Rovers everywhere. So it was like, yeah, what, what is, what, what's he going to do? What's he going to do if you commit a crime? Um, yeah, it was a real, it was a real culture shock. Um, but uh, yeah, I couldn't wait to get out of Bradford now. Yeah. Like, it was, uh, it was, a, it was, a, it, yeah, it wasn't good for me. It wasn't a good fit. And I had the weirdest hybrid Irish Yorkshire accent for a little while. My brother still takes some of it. Does he? Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. It's weird because I know a few, well, I've met a few people in the past that are from Bradford, but when you originally ask them where they're from, they actually say Leeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then Bradford comes out a bit later on in the conversation. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't like to admit. Well, it's te- you know, it's mad to think it's 10 miles from Leeds, and Leeds is, you know, they, they call it the, you know, the London of the North. Mm. And it, yeah, I guess it's like, is it a bit like Wellingborough is to Northampton? But Wellingborough's not that bad. Um, it's a strange place, Bradford, though, because um, it's it's beautiful. It's like when you you know when I, we were there, we we were living in a, in a council estate, and behind us where we were, and it actually turned out to be the best thing ever. The house the council gave us when we got there was just a, it was just a stroke of luck. They couldn't believe, but behind us these woods, and it just went for miles. So, um, you know, we would just go off into the woods. I remember my dad and my brother went for a walk one Sunday morning and we just found a horse. <laughs> my dad went, here you go, lad. And he threw me on his horse. <laughs> and, it's, and it kind of like rode through the woods. Yeah. My dad's a character, though, I've got to say. Yeah, he, Sounds it, yeah. Oh, he's, a, he's, yeah, he's, a, he's got some stories, he is. But, um, yeah, one of the, he's probably one of the best storytellers mm. you'll ever meet. Um, very funny. My brother's hilarious. I think my brother's probably the funniest guy I know. Is he older or? Is he no, he's younger. He's two, about two and a half years younger. Yeah. And he's um, he works does the outdoor gas stuff. You know, it's very very physical. Huge. Yeah. Six, he's like his his arms are like my thighs. You know, but he's also runs. He's like he he's you know they're a brilliant family. They've got um, niece and nephew. And obviously Donna, his wife, but they're just the busiest people I know. But he runs a gym, boxing gym, just for the love of it. And this is at Bradford. It's in Bradford, yeah. yeah. And so, because my mum and dad have moved from Bradford now, so it's just him, and he's just yeah, he's got this. And my nephew's boxing now; he's doing really well. But um, yeah, he's an interesting guy, my brother. You cannot not like him. Mm. It's impossible to dislike him. He's hilarious. Yeah. But he works hard as well. But uh, yeah, this gym thing, yeah, it's really, he works hard on that. And he doesn't make any money from it. It's just for the kids, just yeah. for the sport, you know. He really gives a lot. But uh, yeah, interesting guy. And to do that in Bradford, you know, because it's, it a, it's a tricky place to live. And it's got trickier. Um, it's quite a cultural... Yeah, but I, when I was there, because coming from, coming from Belfast, I always found it interesting that it was, it was, we moved from Belfast, where there's like religious, you know, tension. Yeah. But the, the, problem, the problem in Belfast is um, you, you didn't, you couldn't look at someone and work out what side they were on. And so I remember in school, we used to make up these stupid things 
it's you know random stuff. I remember I went to a boys' school for a year before we moved to Bradford, and these guys just came along and just went, "Say the alphabet," and I was like, "What? Just say it." <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, and it's like, apparently they said, if you said H, then you were the other side, and then, okay, it was nonsense, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it was, it was like, it's like, somebody just made it up, but that's, that's, that's the kind of level they were working at, whereas in Bradford, you kind of come, and you can see the, you know, the two sides, or the three sides, really, but, um, but in Bradford, I thought it was interesting, it's like, God, we've gone from one place with, like, tension to another one and it's the same tension mm. but I just thought one of the biggest issues was that they had this huge white underclass you know on that estate it was, it was generation of people who just lived on that estate that was it it was might as well have been an island mm. um, and it was nuts it was crazy it's, it's nice now nicer I've, I've driven around it a few times because where my mum and dad lived it was like a, just on the last house, just round the edge from a cul-de-sac. And for some reason, some property developers wanted to buy, to, to develop property. And they said they, bit, they bought the cul-de-sac out. And then they bought, they got my mum and dad's house was the last house they bought. And so mum and dad held out for a while to get a decent, decent bit of money off them. And, uh, and then the day they moved out, I think there was a shooting or something at a barbecue and the, the developers apparently pulled out for a little while, yeah. But the weird thing is, is the house they bought was, this, was the first house I saw in Bradford, which was opposite my auntie's house where we lived for a while. So I was in the back of a van, <laughs> sneaking over uh, the tunnel. I had been on the, on the ferry then. And uh, when I got out of, the, out of the, the van, the first house I saw was the house that they ended up 20 years later. Something like that, buying. Oh, did they? Yeah. Crazy, really. Um, and yeah, so yeah, just because so they had that house and they bought it, it kind of saved them. Now they're in a lovely little place uh, on the on the northeast coast, you know, by the oh, sea. Okay. Yeah, yeah, a little bungalow, happy as anything. So yeah, it's weird how life mm. life works out because going living in that house, I didn't like it, but it was the best thing that happened to the Robinsons. Yeah. You know? Because, uh, you know, how'd you get out of that? Out of that, that, you know, it's like you've got the, you could live, there's nothing wrong with being, some people who get precious if you live in a council house. It's like, it's not about living in a council house. It's the kind of people you are, you know. And on the estate, you had the people who were poor um, in their head. And then you just had people who were a bit broke, but they didn't, they didn't have that, that other little bit. Uh, and I really like that. And it's like my mum, my mum, my mum um, was the heart, I guess, in lots of ways. But my, the best thing my dad ever said to me, he says, if you ever bring the police to my door, I'll kill you. And he's, you know, I think he meant it. <laughs> you know, and it, just having that is like, okay, I will never ever do that. I'd probably say my brother and me from, you know, the life that everyone else we knew kind of fell into. Um, you know, people just disappeared and died and prison and and so um, yeah, mum and dad rescued us from that just by just by being consistent. My dad being quite scary, mm. <laughs> consistent, and my mum just being mum, you know, that Irish mum. Just just having respect for your parents. Yeah, isn't it? I was yeah. hugely yeah, and they were, they worked. You know, my mum, you know, they they were grafters mm. big time. 
Is that with council estates? I mean, my my dad grew up on a council estate just up the road at King's Eve, and his uh, mum and dad lived there. And it's sort of, you look back at the generations like that, and it, mm. it, everybody sort of stayed in that community. Mm. You know, the, the mum lived there, the nan lived there. You know, and everybody sort of stayed there. And it's, it's only like this day and age now where we sort of venture out because we can kind of see more now than, you know, suppose growing up on a council estate, you don't see what's on the outside mm. of that. So a lot of people, you're happy with what you've got. Yeah, I mean, school's there, local shop's there. There's always a pub. On a yeah. yeah, on a Saturday, you, you might pop into town for a McDonald's, go to JGB, and then back on the bus, and then straight up back home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you might go to, to the cinema, <laughs> um, and that's it. And then the rest of the time, I just, we used, I remember we just used to walk. Just outside. Just walk around yeah. the estate and just do, you know, and try to stay out of trouble. Mm. Stay away from the scary ones. There's a few of those, but yeah. It's when you drive around the estates now, you don't see kids, you don't see kids out, do you? Oh my God, it's like, yeah, you don't. It's, uh, it's I was trying to, you know, as a teacher, you try to, you talk about stuff that just seemed so normal, you know, uh, for us. And they look at you like you're strange. It's like, you think you used to go out on a Sunday morning and come home at lunch for a quick sandwich, maybe sugar and butter, and then off again, and back for dinner. Mm. And that was your day. You didn't, you know, as long as you could you stay in shouting distance. Or they could see the little collection of bikes yeah. and scooters. Oh, they're around here somewhere. Um, yeah, and you were off. I mean, in the street in Belfast, I mean, there was one house on the street that had a phone. And uh, <laughs> everyone used to give their number out. And so if you got a phone call, they'd knock on the door and say so-and-so. Yeah, it was very rare. But um, yeah, that was it. That was the only way he kept in touch. And I used to go to my granny and granddad's every Saturday. And uh, you didn't know what was going on until you got there. And then people had conversations, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's what I find with having a daughter. I think that... Uh because obviously she don't have that outside life like I did. So I think, I find that as I feel, I don't know if anybody else feels it, but I feel that that's why when it comes to a weekend, like I'll try and do something mm. just to get her out. So she's not sitting on a tablet or, you know, watching YouTube or anything like that, you know, because she hasn't, they haven't got that outside, any, you know, that outside activity as much as like when we were kids. And it's even when you, you've got to plan something now as well. Yeah. Um, to make anything happen. It is... It's weird mm. how it's how it, that's something that's just dead. It's mm. just gone. I mean, even my brother was saying he took um, the lads out from the, the boxing club um, for a night out, you know, in Bradford. And uh, he says all the lads would see a lady they like, they'd walk over and wouldn't talk to them, just get their Instagram and then walk back and then either just continue talking to the, the mates or just start texting the girl over there and he was like what's that about yeah. says, Wait, where's you know where's your where's your mind yeah but it was nothing can i feel yeah okay and then like and interact over the over message yeah even in the same room with yeah each other. i think i read somewhere there was um there was a survey about how uh teenagers uh, like to keep in touch with their friends and face to face was out of a list of 10 i think face to face was about six or seven mm. which is nuts mm. really what do you mean? It, it's crazy, yeah. I think, um, I mean, we had distractions when I was a child. You know, you had computers, but you mm. never, it wasn't a lot. If you still, 
played out until you couldn't see the football. Yeah. You know. And you think about those old games as well. I mean, you were a lot younger than me, but um, uh, <laughs> so we were talking about the games earlier. Yeah. You know, sat on like a Mega Drive. Yeah. And if you look at the games, if you look at an emulator and see what you used to play, it's like, what, what is that supposed to be? Yeah. And we were like, oh, this is really, this is like photorealistic. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen this? It's got four colours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and just hours, hours, just smashing those little those little joysticks. But you still found the time to. Be yeah. outside. Well, because well. it's and also that you, you just weren't allowed. Mm. You know, it's like uh, you, you just weren't. If I was stuck in a room playing on that, I'd be like, get out, yeah. outside. You know, you need to go. And so, um, even though it, it's not what I wanted, it's, it's what I needed. Yeah. And it's like I was given what I needed. Mm. It's like get out of the room, get outside. But my mum my, my was like that. She was, uh, you know, we didn't have lanes. You know, even a Saturday or Sunday was seven o'clock you mm. know she'd be in the bedroom hoovering <laughs> curtains are open yeah. come on get out get outside <laughs> she's got housework to do she don't want you there you know so yeah. I'll be standing out on my little green where I grew up all the other kids have been in bed I'll be standing there with a football on my own like they're, all, <laughs> they're all asleep but I got you know I can at the time obviously you didn't like it but I'll thank her for that now because I've yeah. got a lot of get up and go from that I mean, in Belfast, it was going to going to going to Sunday school. You know, it was because everyone did it. Everyone is Sunday school, and uh, getting up and going, and um, and not because it was just what you did. You didn't hate it. It was just this is what you do on a Sunday. You know, um, I like the boys' brigade and stuff on a Thursday night. Uh, but the church was a big. It was it, you know it wasn't. I wouldn't you know it wasn't. A, it was almost like it was a community thing. Everyone just went. You know, and you did stuff there, and so you you kind of knew, you knew everyone, even to look at. You know, there was mm. no strangers uh, because of that, and so that community thing was really important. So it's almost like the religious side. When you're a kid, you don't get it anyway, mm. um, but just being in a room with uh, all those other kids at the same time doing the same stuff, and I really liked. I used to love the boys' brigade, you know, which is basically like the Belfast. It was like the Scouts, I guess. Um, it was, uh, you'd go and you'd have your little jumper and stuff and you'd do little stuff. And I think, I think about the, there's a couple that used to run it and they weren't, uh, they were just, they were just people who just did it because they, they thought it was good for mm. kids to do this stuff. There's nothing, there was nothing in it for them apart from, it must have been a pain in the arse for them really because, you know, uh, we, we were kids, we were annoying as hell. Um, and these people gave up their own time. There's a couple, I remember one couple in particular, and they would, uh, yeah, and I remember like stuff, they used to take us out and drive us around in there, you know, and take us to, to do stuff. And it's like, why would it, you know, why? Some, someone today is like, what's yeah. in it for them? Yeah. Even if it's just Instagram likes, like yeah. me. Yeah. They, they just did it, because it was, it was a, the right thing to do. And I suppose sometimes, you know, if the right thing to do is it shouldn't, it's usually not the easy thing to do. Yeah. There's a bit of sacrifice in there. And they're, they're not patting each other on the back either. I miss, I think I miss that. I see um, a lack of community, which is which is one I saw in Bradford. It was the same as, as Belfast. You have these these, place, these 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 two sides, and they, they just hate each other. They raised to hate each other. And the, the weird thing is you've never met the other side, you've never had a conversation. The closest I got was on the bus. Um, there's a school where uh, 
the, the, like, the other side would get on. And it was like tense. And I didn't know why. Because I remember looking at them and they had, they had nicer uniforms than us. It's like, they were, yeah, they were quite posh. Um, and yeah, I can remember when they're on there, I was just hyper aware. And also because they were in, they were, weren't in their area, you know, so it must have been quite scary for them. And in Bradford, I mean, it's like there's no-go areas in Bradford. Whichever side you're on, there's places you don't want to go. Which is, it's just sad because it's like, it's community, you know. Mm. People um, isolate themselves from, from the people around them. And then it's, weirdly, they decide to hate the people that they're isolated from. <laughs> they never talk to one of them. There's really. no reason to. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame. Mm -hmm. It's a real shame. But I, if, yeah. So coming from those two, two places, that really showed me that. I was like, wow, this is like the same place. Bradford is like Belfast in so many ways. I find the lack of community. You know, I mean, I grew up around the, you know, around the council estates. And, you know, we'd go, we'd all arrange something on a bank holiday Monday mm. or something. We'd go to, I don't know, Emberton Park or or something or whatever. And it'd be like, you know, 30 of us. Mm. But you don't. Mm. You don't see that anymore. You know, we'd go down, and I grew up down a working men's club. So yeah, I was yeah, and you know, we'd have like days out with the working men's club. You know, and, and it, but you don't. Anyway, mean, yeah, the community. I feel sorry. This day and age, a lot of children. Are, you know, as, I know what, growing up in a pub is not the best. A working men's club is not the best way, but it's not. It the, it's do, not the worst though. It as didn't well. do me any yeah. I actually, I actually kind of miss that community feel, and you know, and you look at it sometimes, and you think yourself, you've got to slow down a little bit and. Mm and do more things, you know, you seem to concentrate on your own, or concentrate on my own family a lot, you know, you're trying to do stuff there, we are busy and you're trying to fit everything in, and yeah, I just find it, when you were talking about uh, doing about doing stuff as a child, I, I seen a um, quote the other day and it said, that that's, you know, um, he said about the daughter going for a sleepover and he's like, what, the, the father was like, here's, your, here's a phone, ring me every 20 minutes to make yeah. sure you're okay. But then when we was younger, it was like, mum, I'm going to an abandoned quarry. And she'd be like, yeah, dinner's at five. <laughs> so true though. Yeah. And but, even it's like, you wouldn't even, you are going to, because there was a quarry near where we were in Bradford and we would go there all the time. And it's like, you wouldn't even say, what, what have you done today in Northern really? Yeah. It's like, we're just in an abandoned quarry. <laughs> But apparently, this day and age, kids are safer. The st statistics show that kids are actually safer. And I had this conversation with Danielle, and um, and I said, and I said that to her, and um, she said about the phone with with Ida, because she's going on a to Longtown or mm. Kingswood or something on a school trip. For oh a yeah, few nights. Been a long yeah. Time. yeah. And she's like, I want to get her a phone, and you know, just so she can contact us and stuff like that. And I said, but. The phones are a blessing in that way that she can contact us. But if you look at the other side of a phone and all the ways that other, you know, paedophiles or whatever can mm. contact the young, you know, that's created more of an issue in that oh God. in that sense. I mean, know. putting a putting a, I mean, I was listening to a guy, this comedian. I love comedians, so I'm always looking for new comedians. A guy, Des Bishop, who's talking about. Um, I mean, I'm not going to spoil his gear, but he's, he's, he was talking about these days you hear the word mindfulness. And he says it's, and the reason he, he says, when I, he was a kid, he's about, I think he's 40. He, was, um, he said, when I was a kid, he never used to hear the word mindfulness because you got on a bus 
and you look to the condensation stripping animal mindfulness <laughs> he says because now these days you've got like you've got like a cinema in your pocket you know um, and so you have to create mindfulness you know you go to the toilet mindfulness yeah. <laughs> it is it's crazy it is nuts that people are talking about this stuff and I, and I always worry about the grift as well because you think um there's this stuff you hear you hear this when you hear the same thing over and over and over again and it's like mental health is i think it's 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 it's, it's a huge industry now it's, and it's also a huge problem and i think we're uh it, i think we're in tricky territory because i think we could become hyper aware of our feelings and and also I mean, I was, you know, I, 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 uh, my, I, as a therapist that I've used um, for my boys, um, and uh, I was thinking, sometimes I go, he's a lovely guy, and, it's, and they, get, they get a lot out of it, but I think, oh God, if I asked my dad to go to therapy when I was a kid, I mean, he wouldn't even ask. You know, it wasn't a thing. You know, it wasn't an option. I'm not feeling very. I'm not I'm feeling a bit down. I'm not feeling great. My self-esteem's not great. And it's just get over yourself. Pick yourself up. But I, you know, you think is is that was that wrong? Was it right? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know, and I don't think we're going to know for a long, long time if we're just hyper aware of our feelings all the time, or we've become I mean narcissistic about our fear. I don't know. Mm. I just you just yeah, you just want everyone to feel okay but uh, yeah I don't know if I, for me I don't know if I'm feeding feeding it when I'm feeling bad if I concentrate on that listen to podcasts about it um, am I making myself better am I making myself worse mm. I don't know that's a good point actually yeah I really don't and it's yeah. like you know when who knows we're in we're in un, unknown territory right mm. now you know we're in deep waters <laughs> it's going to be 20 years until people go right we've done that let's see, uh, let's see what happened it's like an example like, like then when you say um, if you feel in a certain way and then you listen to a podcast and somebody mm. said if you're feeling this way you must be depressed but you probably didn't think that you was mm. before but then now somebody's oh I must be depressed mm. so then it's like you say it's planting it in your head whereas before you was probably I don't know that's it's on it's it's, I suppose it's one of my favourite books. It's a lovely little Victorian book called um, Three Men in a Boat. It's a, it's a really silly, charming little thing of just about three posh boys who go on a holiday um, punting up the Thames. It sounds crap. It's, 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 you know, and you realise these posh lads are just like, you know, anyone. They're lazy, um, underworked, privileged little gits, really. Um, it was embarrassing when I first read it though, because there was my favourite character in it. It was a character called Montmorency, and I, about twenty pages from the end, I worked out that Montmorency was a dog. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea. But it, it, at the beginning of it, and you think, oh, this is one hundred and fifty years old, and the, the guy's not feeling very well, and he uh, he goes to the library and starts looking at a medical journal, and by the end of it, he's realised he's got everything. And he's like, you know, he's a miracle of modern medicine. He says a doctor could train just on him, you know. Yeah. And he goes to his mate, who's a doctor, and his doctor, his mate gives him a prescription, and he goes to the pharmacist. 
and the pharmacist says, I can't help you with that. And he reads it, and it's just like, you know, uh, steak and eggs, good night's sleep, and stop reading stuff you don't understand. It's like, but yeah, I'm the same. Mm. You know, when you Google ailments, it's like, I've got that, I've got yeah. that symptom, I've got that, I've got that. But then you take it down the, the, the mental route, you know, I think we're on DSM four or five, you know, like the diagnostic tool that they use for uh, mental illness. Um, if you start reading that, you think, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that. I mean, you just do it, you know, you just, if you see it and you, you latch on, and I see loads of it online, ADHD, Asperger's, autism. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, a neuro spicy, is like a new term that seems to be going around. And it's like, oh my, I don't know what's going on with this. Are we, do we want these things? Or do we think we've got these things? Can someone diagnose this, please? It's like, it's just nuts. It's really complicated. And if you're a kid, can you imagine being 15 right now? Yeah. I can't, no. I can't imagine that. Having access to all that information, but most of it is just nonsense. And a lot of it is just people um, I've taken something someone else said and are repeating it as if, and they're, I think they're repeating it because that person probably heard that from somewhere else. Like you're hearing loads, you hear loads of uh, like young lads. I mean, you know, I'm 50. Have I really got a lot of wisdom to gain from listening to a 15 year old preach Marcus Aurelius, you know? He's got a lot to learn, I reckon. But uh, yeah, just him spouting it off isn't going to probably teach me a lot. I don't think. Mm. But would it teach another 15-year-old? I don't know. I'm not 15 anymore. It's nuts. We had a library. We had four channels. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, you know? I think with a lot of the diagnoses around, I mean, I'm, I don't really like pharmaceutical companies and, or, you know, doctors. I, I don't, I've lost a lot of trust in a lot of doctors and stuff like that because I think the pharmaceutical business brings in billions and billions mm. of pounds. So I think... ADHD is um, overdiagnosed. I think I don't think I don't. I think I read that you can't actually diagnose it. I think they do. It's like a test, isn't mm. it? They give you. And I think I look at some things that I've got. And I, I think ADHD could be a sign, but I just think I'm I lose attention mm. on something. But I think he said that well, they class it. It's like an overstimulation of the brain. You know, America is always a, is because a, we're like we're downstream from them five years you know mm -hmm. we're always like behind them but I did see uh, that if you look at diagnosis uh, for ADHD in the state in, ter in terms of medicating there's like uh, it's almost like it's contagious there's one state which is it's just it's huge you know the whole thing's red mm. and the ones around it nothing so it's like why is that mm. if it was a if it was a universal wouldn't they all be um, you know, getting medicated at the same rate, unless there's something causing it there. But uh, yeah, I, again, I think it's one of the things. It's like there, there's it's a huge industry. I mean, med mental health. You know, if, if there's a mental health crisis, I think there is. COVID ruined so many people for so many different reasons. I think. I think back to it that day. You know, I got in a car and drove to London and lived with my boys, you know, with my, my ex-wife, you know, because um, I thought we weren't be, gonna be able to travel around. I thought, is this like The Walking Dead? Is this it? What's going on? Um, and then going to a supermarket and everyone's got masked up and someone coughs and then you're kind of like, 
You're dead and coffee. Oh yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> and that that terror. And then you walk, you go for a walk in the park, and you had some. You know, you had those kind of tyrants. I don't know. I saw a woman with a stick, kind of going back off, and it's like was. And I thought that's yeah, that's quite scary. That's interesting. Now she's this. We should be trying to kind of come together and. She's using it as an excuse to start throwing sticks around at people to make them stay six feet away. And I thought, well, she's obviously like, I lost her mind. And then um, people, just that loneliness is, is, is poison, you know? Um, and so many people were just isolated for so long and just hammering through Netflix and Prime and, you know, anything just to keep their, their mind occupied. And then when we kind of came out of that, I think things just when not the same and things weren't addressed you know it's like what 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 people went through during that i know i know relationships fell apart businesses fell apart i mean there's a i think uh, and some a lot of businesses now it's a place loved playing there in corby called um, the olive lovely like mediterranean restaurant he's, he's closed his doors two weeks ago permanently um because they were thriving and then COVID hit them and they've just never recovered, mm -hmm. you know. And you think about all the poor souls working there, the, you know, the, 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 the investors who were trying to keep that place going. Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot going on. And then so somebody's feeling crap and then someone's like, yeah, give me some money and I'll make you feel better. It's like, well, that's, that's a human universal. They had, you know, the snake oil salesman you know, yeah. forever, you know. Every culture's got them. Um, and you might feel better for a little while. But uh, but they're not cures. Someone's, someone's, I, and the idea of someone gaining from someone's pain really bothers me. This reminds me of that film, um, Unleashed. And if you know that, he's, he's basically kept in a cage. He's a fighter. Oh, yeah, with uh, Bob Hoskins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. just reminds me of that. You know, like, we was playing poker the other week and my friend turned around to me and went, you believe we was locked in our house for a year, and it's like it's mad to think that. Mm. Don't we look like now? You're like you're locked. They was made you stay in your house, and you wasn't allowed out only for you know in a certain distance, mm. and and you know all the, all we went through. Can you can you know? Would you do that now? A lot of people wouldn't. Well, avoid. I mean, if, I think if you said before COVID, would you? Do you think the government could make you stay home when you go outside, wear a mask? which has been proven to do nothing, by the mm. way. And people were wearing masks. Remember when people were wearing them around their chin? Yeah. <laughs> Still wearing them. And it's like, okay, I saw a woman with like a net one. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and it, it's like, the, the, you know, could you make, could you make uh, people, because it reminds me of like, uh, like Stalin-esque Russia. Could you make your neighbours ring a hotline because you are having the barbecue with four people it's like yeah you could do that you know could you make everyone stand outside banging pots and pans on a Friday night and you think yeah I, you would say no and yet we all did it and like that pots and pans thing you had to do it because people were like where are they yeah where are they you know and it's like it's, yeah it's strange control so, is unreal so it? It, um, it got it kind of it's like a WhatsApp group. You ever been in a WhatsApp group that starts off fun but gets a bit dark? It was like that. Mm. I remember when, um, when it first started, I got a bit cynical because I, I thought some people were grifting for clout. And um, 
there was a there was a I think he was a doctor, and he was and so they're in the surgery and he's just singing opera, and I was like, he just wants to be an opera singer, you know, he's just on telly, and because everyone else is working and he's going oh, and it's like what, what, this this isn't doing you're not helping any patients with this you've woken up poor sod up, it's like for him you know and I, and I thought oh yeah there is a dark side of this. Mm. Yeah, it was it was it was bonkers, and I, I I I can't see how that wouldn't have a huge effect. But as a teacher, and I think that uh, Ofsted are admitting it finally, really admitting it that what COVID did to the kids is 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 its its impact is vast. We'll never really know. Just this generation is different. We won't because see it, of it until... Well, I mean, we're seeing it now in terms of... I mean, I remember coming back after COVID properly and our year sevens, you know, it's like, my, you know, my school, it's a lovely school. It's very friendly. It's one of the beauties of it is that you know everyone and the corridors are friendly. All the staff say hi, it's high five and fist bumps. Well, the high five disappeared after COVID. <laughs> the little elbow thing, you know. Um, and then... Year sevens were coming in, and uh, you go morning, and they would just blank you, and it was like you could because you, you you could go oh that's a bit rude, but really it's because these kids were stuck at home, and they they weren't getting socialised, just being around people. So they come back into school and they don't know. We were talking about people pleasing, because mm. there's a part of people pleasing which is just being socialised where you just want to fit in and yeah. not stand out. You know, um, I think I heard you say when you play a game, like you play a sport. <clears throat> I'm not very sporty, so I'm not very good at sports analogies. But um, if you play a game and you're the best at the game, you win and you whoop everyone, and you think that that you've won. But the thing is, you haven't because you're not going to be asked to play the game again. And the person who played fairly, followed the rules and then they get asked to play again, they're the real winners, because that's what the sport's about. It's not about whipping everyone. I think they did a, did a study on rats, and, to, and it's like they, re, they realise that even rats teach their young how to play by letting them, by making them lose, and then every now and again letting them win. And so that's how they increase their esteem and, and they get better at stuff. And I think that's, that, that humans are the same, that kind of thing. Um, but you've got to be around people, you know. You're just stuck at home, especially on... A, I mean, everyone's on their devices. Um, no one's talking. I mean, a family could be sat in a living room now. Do you remember when we were young? <laughs> Do you remember, like, at Christmas? What would you watch at Christmas on Christmas Day? What was the big what, thing? Uh, well, it depends what age it'd be. Say in the 80s. Alone. Oh, the 80s. Yeah, well, I was only... No, yeah, okay, so it would be so <laughs> like ladies. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like, so for us, it was like, you know, it was, we'd watch uh, Morecambe and Wise, their Christmas special, mm. Only Fools and Horses Christmas special. Um, even, the, you know, the Queen's Speech, as cheesy as it was, I'd, I'd, my family were never that huge on that, but we'd, we'd have it on. But we'd all be sat and we'd all be watching the same thing at the same time, you know. Um, those big. I remember. I remember. You know, Dallas. Who, who yeah, shot who Jr. Shot JR yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, yeah. You know, I really remember that. I remember um, watching uh, Only Fools and Horses, where where Del Boy 
leans on the bar yeah, and fall. Yeah. I remember watching that with my dad, and we, I, we howled, howled like banshees, you know, at the same thing. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that that's a bonding thing, especially mm. father and son stuff, you know. It's like those moments, those, you know, I remember that moment forever because he was, he was, he was hilarious. He was just such a throwaway little guy. Um, but now, if you sit, anyone, even when I'm sitting with my boys, um, one of them would start absolutely wetting themselves, like just, you know, and they just lose it. And then they're looking at their phone and then they might show you, like it's usually a meme and it's like, I, I, I don't even know, I don't understand what that means. I don't even, never mind why it's funny. Um, and so there's, a, there's like a disconnect and the thing that brings us together is kind of a little bit more disconnected, which I miss. It's, I think it's a shame. It's, you know, when, like when we talk about being outside and like what you talk, you're talking about then about watching TV as a family. So we're not, I'm not talking about like, you know, you've got to be outside all the time. And, you know, we, you know as a kid, I still sat down with my family and, and watched TV. Mm. Like they, but, it, and then, but it wasn't, it still felt like, you know, you went outside and you played outside and you'd done this, you'd done that. You was... But now it just feels like you went, like you were saying about then, but the bonding, yeah. it's like you're all separate instead of together. <clears throat> so yeah. I'm quite old school, so like, I like to have dinner around the table mm. as a family. So I never had that as a kid. We never had a table in our kitchen. We, you know, it was a two up, two down. Um, so I like to, I think that was a, a good idea to have. So now in this house, we have dinner at the table every night together as mm. a family, and we no phones and we talk. And that's what I try and bring a lot of the old school ways into the modern day. And it's I, still, and I, it's there's no downside of that, I don't think. No. Well, you know, I, I, I think, I think it's, well, I remember, um, again, there's 10 moments. The first time my dad took me, my brother and I to a restaurant, it was a big deal, you know. I went for, it was a Chinese restaurant. I even remember that. I even remember what we ate. And um, sitting there and kind of chewing my food very carefully because it's like, it's like, it's, 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 it's like for us, it's quite, it's quite a posh thing. I mean, obviously, you talk about working men's clothes, but, you know, that's their community places, aren't they? I mean, um, that's why I, I, that's why I'm playing a, a little... Uh, a little uh, conservative club, not conservative, yeah, like a working men's club tonight. It's in Hemel Hempstead. The money's not great, but they're the nicest people. And when I'm in those places, it's like, yeah, these people are trying to kind of get that community thing going. So I put on a, a big show for them, as, as, uh, do my very, very best to give them a good night so they can just keep that rolling, you know? Um, uh, sorry, what was I saying before? Uh, I went off there. Um, we'll talk about the old school. Yeah. Dinner, dining, dinner around the table. And oh yeah, yeah. And it's, I, so when, when I remember when I first started, when I realised something different was going on, when I first started doing the Elvis stuff, because I had to do that because my wife had twins, you see, we found out we had twins. So the plan for her to have six months maternity was out the window. And I was like, what am I going to do? You know, and it shows what a weird head I had at the time. Because it's like, most people go, I'll get a Saturday job or something. I mean, I don't know, I'll be an Elvis impersonator. Because I think um, I'd, I'd, I'd done a little thing with a, with a mate at school for a laugh. Okay. Um, and then so I started playing this, this Chinese restaurant in Bedford pretty much every month. And I remember seeing the tables of like families and all the kids who were there. In those days, they didn't have a phone, they all had iPads. And so the, fa- so the, pe- the adults are talking 
and their kids are just doing that. And I was like, do you when you kind of see something and you think it's wrong, but you, you can't really work out why. And I think of it, now it's like, that seems wrong. And you realize, how are you going to learn how to talk without listening to people talk? How are you going to talk like an adult unless you listen to conversations? And these kids were there, but they weren't present. You know, they were in their own little world. And so they're hearing adults talk, but they're not. And so how are they going to talk like adults? You know, like when people have adult conversations, unless you hear them. When I was a kid, you know, we were, it was like, um, we were allowed to be there, but you, you know, we listened. It's like, don't interrupt. Not like, you're not, you know, if we were like going, excuse me, but can I say something? It's like, no, you know, you listened. You respected the adult space because you were in an adult space as well. So when you go to a pub, you're in an adult space. And so you respect that, that it's not your zone. Yeah. Um, I remember this one guy that I used to work with, this guy, Andy Lim, hilarious guy, Mancunian. And when this is about 20 years ago, when I was working at Kingsthorpe, and we were out, and there was a guy who worked in school, and, in, and his, he, uh, he had a, he had a, he was about 10 or 12 or so, I don't know, he had a son, and his um, ex let him down, and so he had to have son so he brought him to the pub where we were I think there was a restaurant and like this the guy Andy Lim he's, he's telling a story hilarious like funniest guy really intense but very very funny um, and he's you know he swore a lot you know he's swearing and then this guy said excuse me Andy can you not swear because my son's here and Andy like he often could do went off on one he went this is a effing adult space I'll talk you know mm. and um, it kind of split the room a bit because some people were like oh that's a bit intense but it's like oh, that's Andy for you you know but part of me was like yeah it's an interesting point you know it's not one I'd be confident to make but the, the lad was in an adult space the dad had brought him and I suppose Andy's thing was well either he's going to listen to adult conversations because you brought a, a child into a space that they shouldn't be in and um it's like, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but there's something in there, you know. Do we try and shield, uh, shield our children too much? From from adult conversations? Just, you know, Other like, things like, yeah, I think, but in face-to-face, but we don't mind them going on the device and looking at whatever the hell they want. And let's be honest, mate. Um, if, if can, I can't imagine being 15 as a boy with access to the internet, mm. I wouldn't leave the house. I mean, I'd be a, I'd find a husk, <laughs> you know, a pale husk, dried out husk in the corner somewhere. Um, I cannot imagine it. It's cannot, it cannot be good for them. It can't be. When you were saying about sitting there when you're doing a gig and the, the, the children on the iPad, mm. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've got memories as well as, and as as I have when I was a child and you'd go to places that you didn't really want to go. I mean, one, one comes to mind, we used to go to go Beacon Bingo every Sunday mm-hmm. um, and sit there and be quiet. We didn't have a tablet, yeah. you know, just have to be sit. And as much as I moan, I, I didn't like it at the time or it wasn't enjoyable for me, it's a part of my memory and I still remember it now and it's an experience, you know. So they're going to your gig. If they was, you know, they could be like, oh, when they're older, be like, oh, I remember Dad used to take us to Elvis mm. every every Sunday, 
and it's a part of their memory, mm. but they're not going to have that memory now, really, because they're sitting there on the. They're not. In that it's not as if they can tell you what they were doing on no. their device either. It's no. just lots of scrolling, lots of scrolling. It's yeah. It can't be. It can't be good for us. It can't be good for us. It's like we were talking about ADHD, and and like research now says that because like socialization, you know, and and just you know just. Um, being able to be around people and and seem normal, like it's not and normal is a complicated word, but to for most of us, most of the time, to not stand out as abnormal is kind of I guess what's what we like, you know. We're talking about people pleasing earlier. Yeah. Is part of that, I suppose, just to fit in because we're pack animals. Um, but the evidence is that, uh, like, say ADHD, a big part of that is that. If you're not socialised by three properly, so you've actually interacted with other three-year-olds and adults have actually interacted with you, um, then you're not going to be an, uh, you're going to be slightly abnormal as an adult. It's going to you're going to you're going to socially going to feel odd, or other people might see you as odd. Um, and for ADHD, play if lack of play before three. Is it five? Um, real play, interactive play, uh, could be why it's like almost like an epidemic now, like ADHD, because you could those devices. I mean, you're a you know a parent. It's it's hard, isn't it? It's mm. like you know sometimes you just want some peace, and here's this magical device. If I just give you that, I can just have some peace. But then. Um, I guess there might be a price for that now, you know. Um, it's a tough one. What, what what's healthy? What's 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 unhealthy? We just don't know. It's just all it's completely new territory. Especially a lot of young parents coming through now. You know, my parents when they didn't have a distraction. Mm. Look at the phones. My my dad's distraction was a pub. Um, but parents coming through now, they they've got their distractions, so they're they're not interacting with their child mm. as much. Well, they were probably raised on the devices as well, mm. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember if I had a bag of soldiers. Do you remember those bags of soldiers? And some dirt and a bit of water to make some mud. Hog heaven, you know. Um, that there's my Sunday, all Sunday in the garden, is doing that. Can you? Can I imagine giving my boys a bag of soldiers and go? There you go, lads. They'd look at me like I was a lunatic. Imagination was a lot. You'd think that the child, the children now are exposed to a lot more, so their imagination should be better. But they're mm. not getting to use their imagination. Whereas we was kids, like my little incident the other day, we went out to a hotel for the weekend, and we were sitting there, and um, I don't like having tablets at the table or mm. phones, you know, into it. And she's sitting there. She went, "Oh, I'm bored. I'm bored." Yeah. I'd never. I don't think I've ever. If I said that when I was a kid. It would be like, oh, go outside then. You know, go, you know. You if I was bored, yeah. Dad would go, here's a bucket, go wash my car. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, just... treasure those moments, you yeah. know. It's like, bored. Yeah, and kids tell you they're bored as if it's like, so do something. Like, do something about it. Now. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of crazy. And then you say, what do you want to do? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's the universal, isn't yeah. it? It's like, I'm bored. Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know what I want to do. What don't you want to do? This. Mm. Okay, well, how, help me out here. Yeah. And so now you're like, let's go do some stuff. But we had, as a kid, we had marbles, pogs, football, yeah. you know. And it's stupid, yeah. 
I mean, do you remember? Do you remember the? I mean, it was like those weird things that happen in schools. So, like, I mean, when I was a kid, it was. I mean, do you remember the old Panini sticker books? Yeah. Man, the Star Wars sticker book yeah. that was my favourite. You know, so. Um, Taking you swaps into. School. Oh yeah, like got 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 need yeah, need yeah, yeah. need yeah uh, all that stuff that was great, but it's like there was that weird bit. Must be t- it must be ten years ago. I don't know where the kids were just like flipping the bottle. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. That was everywhere. How did how did that become a thing? Mm. I mean, kids at my place were obsessed, obsessed. It's all they would do was just flip this bottle, and it's like, what the hell? But that's a good thing to have. But it is because yeah. they weren't bored. It's yeah. like they had a bottle with a bit of water Sim- in the bottom. Something simple like we would. And they were just doing yeah. that. I mean, they had to film it though. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like what, it, it doesn't exist unless I can show it to yeah. someone else. It's not real. And the, didn't. Yeah, the people around you aren't enough. Yeah. You know. But um, yeah, that was like, it's, so it's like, okay, that's like conkers, mm. you know, like conker season, everyone's just like piling away, they were conkers. And we was at the park, um, it would have been last year, back end of last year, on, we was at Abington Park, right under the conker tree, and mm. there was thousands of conkers on the floor. And I was like, as a child, mm. you, you wouldn't be able to, you, been, you wouldn't find a conker. You mean <laughs> hog head, that'd be like a hog. And then you do all that mad stuff. It's like, I'm going to soak this one in vinegar. Put it in the oven. <laughs> what was that about? Yeah. It's like these things. And it's like the fact that you knew that. It's like, I have no idea if there's any any evidence that that's the thing. Mm. But we, uh, just the conquer season, that was brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Um, going back to your teaching, so give us a bit of history of your teaching. How did you end up um, <coughs> teaching uh, with learning, to kids oh. with learning difficulties? Can't speak then. Um... Well, it was an accident. It was kind of accidental, but it's like it's, it's more about um, the, the, my head, how my head works. So uh, when I started teaching, I, I liked I liked the performative side of it. You know, I was always always rubbish at organisation. So um, I, I so I do the performing bit the classroom bit and then the marking bit because I didn't it wasn't that I, I didn't want to do it I didn't really know how to do it no one had modelled it and I realise now if anything I'm going to do and I learned this from teaching I, I can't expect a pupil to do anything unless I show them how to do it you know this is and then I you know they, they call it modelling it's like it's just, you, you, good teachers do it mm-hmm. anyway you know doesn't need a posh name um and so I would do things like I would I would have I got a really I got a bad back and it's twenty seven I had to take a little time off work and it's because all I would carry everything I needed for the day in this bag and I actually got to two bags at one stage and it's like I had a pack of piles of books to mark which I never marked and it was just I mean I must have been like rucking like big time um, and I wasn't and I wasn't very organised so I took this job. And I had to, I, day one, I got a train there. I didn't drive, didn't know anyone there. And so day one, I had to go around and just find out where everyone lived to see if I could ping pong from one lift to another uh, and to, so I can actually get to school. Um, but I loved, I loved the classroom bit, although there was, there was one class who just tore me to shreds. And uh, um, about, uh, about a year and a half in, I was like, sod this. I'm going to be a musician, so I, I tried to work in covers bands for a while, not very successfully. 
And then I ended up at Kingsort, which is where you went, isn't it? Did you go to Kingsort? I went to Kingsort Upper School, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, so that's, uh, you know, that's where I ended up. And it was covering a maternity leave for six months. And I met some really good guys there. And I didn't want to teach. The, the lady I was with at the time kind of forced me to go for that job. And I actually tried to throw the interview. And I still got a job. <laughs> And I, I blew the interview, but I, I, but I, I, I can't, I, when I'm in front of a kid, I can't not try to do my job. So um, I, threw the, I threw the interview, but I had to do a 20 minute lesson the next day and that went okay. And I did that and then ended up in Wellingburn. So I'd just go from a little job, get bored, or I'd start and people go, oh, he's good. Because I was good in the classroom, quite showy, you know, bit, a bit of a show off really, I guess. Like that, that film, that Dead Poets Society, I wanted to be that big English teacher, you know, inspiring, uh, really pretentious. When I look back, it, yeah, it makes me cringe. Um, and then I ended up at Mirway as head of psych, uh, A-level psychology. Because um, psychology was a big part of my degree. And uh, I, my plan was, I thought, you know, it's like, I think I want to be working in sick form because the standard's quite high. Um, I want to teach English A-level, uh, psychology A-level, and then I want a behaviour group though. I liked, I quite like naughty kids. So I had this mad little, um, this mad little, like 10 lads. And they, I only had them once a week, it was on a, no twice a week, but the, the first time I met them was Friday, lesson six, in this room, this bare room. You always know it's bad because the room is bare. <laughs> All right, there's nothing to break. And it was on the second floor and I went in looking for them and there was no one there. And I'm like, where are they? And then I noticed, because it had windows all the way around, there was fingers hanging. They were all hanging out the window. <laughs> and they came in and they just, yeah, they were nuts. They were nuts, but they were brilliant. I thought I can, yeah. They tore me apart for a while. Um, but I'd look forward to those because I'd find ways to make it work. And so, and then I was head of year 13 and I was like, right, that's all I wanted to do, you know. I got, I became head of year 13 and I got 500 quid a year pay rise. So I went and got a 10 grand loan and bought a Z3. <laughs> that's where my head was. Um, like the pretentiousness kicked in. <laughs> well, I just, because I got, I, it was an obsession. It was because I, I saw a sports car and the idea was in my head and I, it, it just niggled, yeah. you know. I think I'd seen um, James Bond with Pierce Bros. I was like, that's a sexy little car. Because it's like, I'm not into cars, but that, that was like an X-Wing fighter in mm. Star Wars or something. But someone just like, oh man, that's so cool. So it just planted the seed. I just, and it just becomes like an obsession. Um, and then I found myself being really, really depressed and hating it. You know, it's like, I, it was, and I shouldn't have done it. It was, it was kind of everything. I, oh, it's kind of everything I'd wanted, but uh, I just remember just hating it and being just dreading going to school and thinking this is just not this isn't working for me. So I phoned my friend who I met at Kingsall when I covered the maternity leave, and he was working where I am now. Uh, and I, I did this to him every couple of years. I go, any jobs going to your place? And he went, yeah. Um, but. And it was, and it was a weird day because it was, it was such a life-changing moment because it was the last day I could hand in my notice was that day if I wanted to go for this job. So he told the head, a friend of mine's going to come um, 
for the job interview as for an English teacher, I had to go to my head before I went to the interview and had my noticing so I could officially take the job. And he was like, what are you doing? I says, I'm handing my notice in. He says, have you got a job? I've got the interview this afternoon. <laughs> he, was, he went, mm, do you really think this is? I said, I'm just honest, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Reckless, stupid, I mean, on so many levels. And then I turned up and I was like, yeah, I'll do this, I'll do this. I've you know, moved from job to job to job. Um, and it was, yeah, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a big, big, I realised it kind of stripped away all pretension. I always thought I was a decent teacher. In fact, it's worse than that. Everything I did, I, I, um, if, if I would work as little as possible to get by as, as I could. So like in terms of teaching, even in terms of music, it's like, can I play guitar as well as I'd like to? No, but can I play well enough to be in this band? Yeah, all right, so yeah. And really, I guess a lot of it was because I want to spend time like going out and just drinking, you know, mm. and just having fun, or what I thought was having fun. So when I started at, uh, at Northgate, I'll never forget the, the day one, because I taught I taught a lad of autism years before, um, and it was a big deal, you know. It's like we've got an autistic boy. Now I realise I've taught hundreds of mm. autistic boys and girls. And uh, so and I got to the school that was like, okay. And I was like a bit keen. I was like, this is quite cool, isn't it? And there was a lad, I'll never forget him. He was, in a, he was a lad, he was in a wheelchair. And I went up to him and I kind of patronised him, bent over and, hello there, young boy, how are you doing? And he told me to F off, like, and called me like quite a few choice names. And uh, I was like, oh my God, I've never been so. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and it was like, uh, yeah, and then and that's, that was the start of the morning. I was like, oh my God, okay. I, I was, I'm talking to him like he's a kid, you know, because he's in a wheelchair, I'm talking to him like he's a baby. Mm. That was a great wake-up call, that was a great lesson. And in the afternoon, as it's taxi time, the, uh, was he deputy head or assistant head? There's a guy, Mike Trinley, brilliant. He became the head, he was one of the best teachers I ever worked with, without a shadow of a doubt. So the kids are leaving at taxi time, I'm being Mr. Extra. Hi guys, hi guys. And he was just, he's a big tall guy, you know, he's like six, four, six, five, like the marathon runner dude. Um, and, he's, and he's like, he's just kind of watching me, you know, and I'm going, hey, he says high fives and all that crap, you know, really being over the top. And this uh, Down syndrome girl just kind of piled by and there was like, and she was kind of running and I went slow down and she just hoofed me right in the balls. And I hit the ground like a bag of spanners. I was down and all I could hear was Mike Trunley just, la just laughing, like laughing his head off. There was no concern. <laughs> it's like, you want to do that again, Mike? Welcome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was, um, but I, remember, I still remember thinking when I was there, I still, I still remember thinking, I'll do this for a year and then I'll do something else, you know, so I won't not commit. And then it got to, because I used to get offered jobs, I don't know what it was, if I went somewhere else, someone would kind of go, ooh, yeah. Because I think I could, uh, people, I think I must have put out an air of being better than the job than I was, you know? It's black, really. Mm. Um, or I was really good at one part of the job, but like the job is such a, you know, the, 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 the other stuff, like the paperwork stuff and the organisation stuff is such a huge part of it, and I was never very good at that. I never worked hard enough for that until now. Um, 
and I got offered another job at another special school. I think that, that my head had sent me up there to, it was, it was one of those weird things. It's like, right, they've got a piano we want. Uh, will you go do an assembly for them as Elvis? It's like, I was always getting pimped out as Elvis <laughs> to places. And I went up and they offered me a job. And, um, and I kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And then uh, over the weekend, I just thought, you know what? You just got to commit to something. So I went and saw my head and said, look, I'm staying. I'm going to work harder than I am. Um, I'm committing to Northgate. And then it was, uh, I remember it was half term and I was in every day doing eight hours just in my classroom, trying to work out what I needed to do, you know. Um, and, that, and that was kind of it. And that was, that was nearly 18 years ago. Um, but yeah, in terms of a job, it's weird because when you tell people you work with special needs, people always say the same thing. They always kind of go, oh, that must be so rewarding. And, it's, and, and part of me is like, that, that it doesn't, yeah, I get, I don't know why I pick up a resentment about that, but I think it's almost because um, I realised, like I did that day one talking to that lad, how patronising I was to mm. him. And he put me in my place, and it was the best thing that anyone could have done. Because the worst thing he could have done, anyone could, is like encourage that. Yeah. Because I was really, I was dehumanising him, wasn't I? I was like being like the white knight, I've come to rescue you with my brilliance. And it's yeah. like, no, mate, you're here to do a job. Mm. And um, yeah, you better be good at it as well, or you're gonna, you're gonna sink. And so when people go, it must be rewarding. And I, and I have like, you know, I have remarks, because uh, they pay me, you know? It's, it's, it, they do pay me to do the job. But um, I do think, I, I kind of think now, is I, can't, I couldn't do another job. I'm so, I'm, I'm like, I'm almost institutionalised now. Um, I'm so institutionalised that I forget our kids have got special needs. I, that, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I'd say it's a good thing that you're treating them the same as you would do if you taught class of quite normal people. It makes me realise though that um, when I was in mainstream I was teaching dozens of kids Mm. like I teach now who are just lost in that mainstream setting and as long as you're not a pain in the arse you can go through five years with your head down and it just it's it's, it's awful because they're beyond invisible they're not going to achieve a lot. They're never going to be a pain. A lot of the time, it might take you a long time to learn the names. Um, and it's not really your fault as well. Because uh, you, you know, you've know got a class of 33, six lessons a day, and they're just piling in. And you're trying to learn all those names at the same time. And if, well, who do you, you learn the naughty one, the loud one, I remember, I know him or her, it's usually him. Um, and then the quiet ones, oh, they're nice, they'll just crack on. And it's just because, you, you know, it's like the squeaky wheel gets the, gets the oil. You know, these kids, uh, unless they're a pain, and then um, then you then you class as naughty. And a lot, a lot of ADHD and a lot of autism can, can come out naughty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, it really can. Yeah. It's awful. 
how many um, how many kids have had have been through the ringer because they're, they're undiagnosed um, or they're still waiting for diagnosis so the school doesn't really know what to do with them and then they end up somewhere like Northgate and it's like the best I think it's the best model for a school anyway a small school mm-hmm. 250 well there's 178 on my and everyone knows but it's like the education is is high quality education everyone everyone knows things I'm, I mean I've just done like a little anti-bullying campaign project and talking to kids about bullying and it's like genuinely um, they were saying this doesn't really happen in Northgate and it's like yeah flipping happens in mainstream so because mm. you could just be lost I got bullied when I was at Mirway. I had these two twins. <laughs> Give me hell. They'd shoulder barge me. Um, you know, going down the stairs. I saw some teachers. I've seen some teachers take some abuse, you know. And so in terms of, like, teaching, special ed teaching <clears throat> is, um, is tricky. Teaching top set is tricky. Teaching middle set mainstream is tricky. Um, I think it's whatever you're good at. I, I, I think I'm good at this. I was rubbish. When I taught top set mainstream kids, I didn't feel like I was good at it. It's like, these kids are, you know, they're smarter than me. They don't need me. They're just, they're just, you know when kids, they're just cooking. Mm. They don't need me. I feel like I'm uh, like a paperweight for these, these kids. And yet the kids where I teach now, um, is, is, is the world better with me there with teaching them in front of them even though it can be challenging it's like I, yeah I think so, I think so. Um, but it's all I'm going to do um, and I'll just keep doing it and even though sometimes because it's just the way my head is I get a bit down the dumps you know so even if life's great I'll be like oh, life's crap but um, I'll still plug away and when you're having those days oh my god I mean when I was in mainstream and these are these. This sounds a little bit kind of cliche, but um, t- uh, teaching is really hard. You know, as a job, if you, it's a, it's not a career. You don't you don't teach because um, you think, oh, you know, I'll make some money. It's like something you. It's like a. They always say it's like a vocation, something you want to do for whatever reason. And I guess the reason might change, but the the a lot of it is is a grind. And just kids, I mean, it's, it's like, talk about tough rooms, kids just looking at you like, you, you, you know, this is boring. And you have the, in the, maybe in a year you have a couple of moments where a kid will come up to you and say, you know what, I really enjoyed that lesson. It's like, you know, you really made me think yesterday, thank you for that, or whatever it was. Um, when I started Northgate, I had, I had 10 of those in a day, you know, 10 moments when it was like, oh my God. That's, you know, so I, I mean, you know, I get, I get tons out of it um, that way. And if, you know, I've been a bit down the dumps last month or so, coming down the corridor and some kid just coming up and just giving you, I, as a little lad just came and just kind of like, you're all right. I didn't even teach him, you know. Mm. He's like, you're all right, mate. And give you a little, and it's like, yeah, I'm all right, actually. Because yeah. you just did that little man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he has no idea. He's oblivious, you know. He's, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. I hate it. It's brilliant. It's awful. <laughs> um, yeah. I think people can say that about any job. It's a job. It's yeah. like, you know, that thing, was it Philip Larkin said, um, 
why should this toad work squat on my day? You know, it's like it's work, isn't it? Uh, but I love the bits with the, the bit time with kids in a classroom with the class is amazing. A lot of the time, the bits outside of that, that's the bit I hate. Mm-hmm. But then that's the, that's the downside of stuff. That's what comes with it, I suppose, mm-hmm. isn't it? With the um, Elvis, so you, you said you was in a few tribute bands, and then obviously what you said earlier that you'd done something with a friend, and then that's how you got onto the Elvis mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, what do you find, what do you get out of being an Elvis impersonator? Well, I, I never, I mean, because when I was in my 20s at uni, I was in, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be in a band, you know, so we were playing in bands, doing original stuff. I know there's no money in original stuff. I mean, you pay to play to the bar staff and the other band's girlfriends, really, that's it, and the other bands. Um, but I loved it, you know, I just wanted to be a guitarist and sing, I wanted to be a guitarist, really. Uh, and then uh, the band, we were, you know, different times, we weren't, we weren't very organised. Um, but we got a, we got a really good EP recorded, and I got a little tour in Germany for a week. And then it, one of us got a job, nice job for Melody. Do you remember Melody Maker, music magazine, um, in London? And so that we kind of split up. And then I was just like, oh, I just want to do music. So I still played, you know, I still play guitar because I just love it. And, uh, and, I, and you know, I was writing stuff just for me, really. And then. Um, when was it? I remember I was in the car with someone, and do you remember that, that littlest conversation came out? Because mm. I remember Elvis when I was a kid in Belfast, because there was like a summer when they were at six o'clock every day they played Elvis film, and that was a, pretty much all the summer as well, you know, because it's like it was like thirty-four summer like films, and they, it was one of those guys where it's like, who's this dude? I mean, he looked like no one. I've never seen anyone look like that, you know, not on purpose, mm. like with the the orange and the kind of the shiny plastic looking hair um, and their songs and that's really all I, I really knew about him and then um, I heard I remember I heard a live album I can't remember where it was and it was American Trilogy and I was like oh wow this guy can actually I never thought of Elvis as a singer it's like this is amazing and then I heard If I Can Dream it's like wow this is like um because, you know, in my, in growing up, it's Motown, you know, Motown, and like Marvin Gaye, dad was a huge, and like Marvin Gaye's voice, you know, I mean, you hear him now and you think, I didn't ever appreciate how amazing a voice that guy has. I've never heard anyone do a Marvin Gaye tribute, who could, you yeah. know what I mean? Like Sam Cooke and those guys. Um, and then a little, less long com- a little less conversation came out, and I was in the car with someone, I was just singing along, and they went, are you... St- you sound exactly like him. I was like, what? Seriously, you sound exactly like him. And then, um, it's just one of those things. So I was working at Mirway then in the first year, and I became good friends with a guy who's a musician. And um, like teachers, a lot, of, a lot of teachers are like failed some things, failed writers. I'm a failed musician, you know, mm. failed, you know, you know. Um, and so they did this bistro thing in the theatre where they set the tables. It's just for teachers. But you had to go, you had to do something, you had to perform. And so me and this guy went, let's, let's take the piss a little bit. Let's, like, let's do Elvis. So he, he, and he was an amazing guitarist. 
So we learned like three, two or three songs, American Trilogy and Counting Fall in Love or something like that. And um, I had a costume, got a big got a pillow down there and a wig, you know, really cheesed it up. And then we, we just did it, we hadn't rehearsed it. And then somebody filmed it and it was brilliant. It was like, it was really, it was funny, it was silly, but it sounded good. And then somebody booked us for a gig. Oh my God, yeah. So we, we did, I mean, we didn't do that many gigs together. We did, we did, we used to do school stuff a lot and the odd little party. And then, um, and that was it, you know, it was like a little flash in the pan. He, he'd left, you know, I left me away and we just didn't do it anymore. And then I remember going for the scan with my wife when we got pregnant. I was just thinking, I'm just gonna be a teacher. That's what I wanna do. And then it was twins, I mentioned earlier, and it was like, well, there's the plan. So I was like, I'll, I'll try and do some Elvis. And the plan was if I could get one gig a month, well, like a hundred quid's better. Yeah. It's better than nothing. And then so I got a, got a, a yeah, I can't remember how I got the, the, the place in Bedford. I don't know how I got that, that Chinese restaurant. And that was great because it was, for me, it was kind of cool because it reminded me of like the Goodfellas, you know, the bit when they go behind like the, the, the restaurants and the kitchens. Yeah. So I'd be in the kitchens and it's like, uh, and, like the chi- and everyone had English names, even though they were Chinese, like, so the, the, the main guy was Simon. It's like, this is no way his name was Simon, you know. Um, and they put me on upstairs and I remember I didn't really know how to do it. You know, I was trying to work it. So I got a little, got a cheap little PA. I got a little handheld MP3, which I taped to the mic stand and I would get the music running through that. And I just, I do that kind of once or twice a month if I, if, if I was lucky. And then it just got, it just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, until it was getting too much, to be honest. It was, it, I, it, I went weeks, I went months without a day off because I'd just do that at the weekend. I met small kids. So if I got home at three in the morning, I was still up at six in the morning, you know, doing dad stuff. Um, and it, yeah, it kind of, I think it, it kind of got on top of me. Um, where I wasn't enjoying it, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd know, but I'd, I didn't realize I could sing. Because when I was in a band, my singing was—I was a singer. It was crap. It was, it was awful. It was really bad. And when I try to write songs now, I still try to write. I don't know who I'm, in my head I want to sound like, but it's some one of those '90s singers, you know. It's just—it's not me. So it never really worked out. Um, and then I just, yeah, and I, I just found I could, I could sing, I could sing songs. I think the only thing is I won't, I can't sing stuff I don't like. Mm. So um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll sing my favourite Elvis songs, so that when I'm singing them, I'm, I'm actually singing. I don't, I don't like to think of like karaoke singing because if I'm doing it. I mean, when I first did it, I just had a costume that I had someone put together. I didn't even have lights. I'd just be in the corner of a pub. But I used to get away with it because I was, I'd worked really hard, you know. But I wasn't like, everyone used to kind of go on about Simon Patrick because he was like, you know, he's a professional. And I was like, I can't compete with that because I'm just, I'm a teacher. And I, at the weekends, I just have to, you know, I'm trying to make some money here. That's why I've got one costume, <laughs> no lights. Because I need to put, you know, I need to put, I need to pay some bills. Um, and I never really thought I was good enough anyway. Um, and it kind of petered out for, I kind of just stopped. I got, I got to a stage, I, got, I had this really weird, I think the darts players call it the yips. Have you heard of that? No. It's like, um, was it Eric Bristow? 
he, um, he was talking about it. I remember he was talked about it. I heard, heard him talk about it a few times. But the yips for a dance player is when they, they can't let go of the they can't let go of the dart, and it's like it's a block. Mm. Um, and I kind of thought, I think I've got the yips. <laughs> sort of, I couldn't I couldn't go to gigs, so I book have a gig booked. There's one I still feel really bad about today. This guy booked uh, a gig, and I just couldn't. I couldn't go. I couldn't. I just couldn't even get in the car. I couldn't even pack the car. I just stayed in the house. Um, I just couldn't do it. And so that, that lasted a while. I lasted a good while. Um, and then, uh, I, and then a, a couple of people would kind of get me to do little bits, but I was a bit of a mess. It was awful. I mean, I was really fat, really sweaty. Um, yeah, but I still sounded okay. <laughs> that was the weird thing. But I just looked like death. I, I just looked like I was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was embarrassing. It was deeply, deeply embarrassing. Seeing some sweaty, like Peter Kay's fat brother, <laughs> falling around. Um, and it was pretty. It was a pretty undignified, really. It was. A, it, was, a, it, was a, it makes me cringe thinking about it. But. Um, but it was always there. It was like it's always it, the Elvis thing was weirdly something I could always do without too much effort. It was. It was. It's really odd. Um, people kind of say, and I'm not saying I'm the best at all. I'm not saying I'm even. A, I'm like, more, but considering the fact I've never put any work into it, and I can just do that, and I know people work really hard at it. It's like his stuff. Just like it. Just it just resonates with me. I think it sounds like how you talk about your teaching. Yeah. The same sort of thing, like you, you were still good at it, and you didn't yeah. have to put you, with yeah. minimal effort. So the same with the Elvis thing, you were still good at it yeah. without putting the. Yeah, well, I was okay at it. You didn't see it. <laughs> it was no, there was no good. There was, it was like, but it was, you know, it was enough. It to got get, you by. It got me 100, 150 quid minimum. <laughs> you know, that's like that's like the kind of the gig minimum that you, you know the agents put you out. At. Um, but then it's like so. I mean, since since you know I stopped drinking since I sobered up. I've, um, it's like, it's, it, yeah, yeah, I don't know, it's like doing anything creative. I don't know if you're creative, Scott. Do you do anything creative? <clears throat> Not anymore. Are you, I mean, I used to DJ years yeah. ago. Well, well, that's creative. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, because you know, people ask me to DJ and I, and I hate it because there's a real skill to it. When you've got to know music, like you've got to know everything. Mm. So your knowledge is mad. And you've got to be able to feel the night, you mm. know? And I, I can do that when I'm performing but not when I'm just playing music. Um, so it's, a, it's a, definitely a performative thing. And it's like, you've got to be able to read what's going on, you know? Um, but in terms of creative stuff, I'd say I've always been, I've, I've always really enjoyed, it's when I'm happiest when I'm doing something creative, but it's not necessarily performing. When I was in a band, my favorite bits were in the rehearsal studio, you know, soundproof room, four farty men it's sweaty probably hungover um just just jamming you know and there's moments of that where i was just gone you know and it's like even though we might come up with a nice idea it's never as good as that first time ever ever and i still find that now when i'm when i'm writing if i think that's a nice idea and then i try to uh, play it I think it's the same, but it's not. Something. It's just because that moment. It was the moment that was amazing, you know. Um, and so we're, I started 
doing Elvis again. It took me a while. I remember when I stopped drinking, I said, I'm not doing gigs. Six months, let's cancel everything. There wasn't that many to cancel, to be honest with you. But um, I said, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going I'm to work on me and get this stuff sorted. And then uh, I kind of started enjoying the idea of singing again. So um, I don't, because I don't just do Elvis, I do like a, it's a Vegas show now. So my first bit, and it's for me really, because mm. all the Elvis fans just want Elvis, that's all they want. And but I'm like, um, I want to sing, so I do like some Sinatra, loads of Sinatra and like Tony Bennett and a bit of Barry Manilow, all the cheat, like Neil Diamond, the stuff I really like, you know, a bit of Kenny Rogers. Um, just for the joy of it. And also, I think what I'd really, what, what, what I really try to do is, so if somebody's going to see an Elvis tribute, unless they're a big fan, because you have the hardcore fans who have their favourite, oh, he's no Ben Partsmith or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not, that guy's awesome, you know, but we're in a corner of a pub. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. we're, not, we're not in some massive theatre. Um, that's fine, it's like, they should, yeah, you should, they should have your favourites, because some of the guys out there are just, you know, amazing. Um, but what I really want to do is want, want, I want it'd be nice if somebody heard his song because there's a reason Elvis is huge it's because when he was when he really sang it resonated you know he could really sing he really connected with the song but then any great singer does like Tom Jones is still mm-hmm. doing that you know so um, when I sing there's like I think it's probably about 75% Paul in there and 25% Elvis sometimes because um, I just really want to connect and sing, mm. you know. And there are moments when uh, when you sing a beautiful song, and it's the ballads usually get me, like American Trilogy and stuff. They're, they're you know they're okay, but if I do Bridge Over Troubled Waters, which is probably one of my favourite songs anyway, you know, I think uh, Paul Simon could probably get away with ten murders <laughs> just because he wrote that, that that gorgeous song. But if I sing that, I nail it. I can feel it, you know, it's like, I'm, it's a connection with, with the people. And it's like, and I love the way I'm just, like tonight I'm in a working men's club in Hemel Hempstead, you know, little tiny little club full of working class, not really nice people. Last time I was there, an old lady bit me on the arse, you know, it got really out of hand. Um, but uh, it's like, they all had a really, really good night. There were moments when it was like, they were really listening, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, I'd rather do that. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're really good moments for me. Um, but it's hard to put my finger on why I love them. Why I, saw, I, saw, I like why I like playing little rough places like that. I think it's maybe just because when when we were kids, any, someone entertaining in those because they had tough gigs. Cause if you're not good enough, they let you know, like mm. you know, so you cut your teeth. Oh my word! I, you know the amount, of, the amount of staring competition gigs where people just stared at me, or, or just like you know, like I wasn't even there. But um, that's that's good stuff. That's good stuff, you know, to get get better. You gotta you gotta do those. No one kind of starts off great. Um, and now it's like I'm at a stage where I'm I'm I'm, I'm probably a decent entertainer. I think I'm, I'm think I'm a decent singer. Every now and again, I'll sing something really well I think or every now and again there's a couple of songs I think I do pretty well um, 
and uh, and, I, and I feel more comfortable like with the crowd bit. Like Elvis is great because I'm just dressed as a tit, really. You know? Yeah. Um, and so it's not me, but like doing the the vet kind of Vegas stuff in just a suit, and I've got to talk to the crowd. Um, well, that's you. Yeah. Quite like, Elvis yeah. is the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Uh, but also, it's just a complete act. It's like if I if if I say a, I'm not very good socially, so people would think I'm doing them a favour. It's like it's a big party. I went, do you want me to do Elvis? Well, we didn't want to ask. I'll do Elvis for you, okay? But for me, it's like thank freak, I'm doing Elvis because I don't have to socialise. I don't have to, you know, if there's like meals and they put yeah. me around a table, if they say we've got a chair for you at a table, I'm like, no, I'm gonna be too busy, mm-hmm. and I'll just go over and I'll twiddle. I'm not look, doing anything. Look busy. I'm hiding, you know, I'm just hiding. And then when I sing, it's like, I'm hiding in plain sight, you know. You find out with a lot of singers, even, you know, internationally singers, they're um, different characters mm. off the mic. You know, you speak there, they're up there, they must be the most confident person mm. away from the mic, but that's where they become alive. And oh, God, yeah. Those nerves, are those first... I don't know, 20 minutes. Um, it's just... You ever seen Lee Evans do stand-up? Yeah. You know that first 20 minutes yeah. where he's just talking nonsense and sweating yeah. so bad? Um, yeah. He says it's just till he gets settled down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think that's for most people. You're just getting, getting, getting those nerves out of the way because it is nerve-wracking. It's still nerve-wracking, you know? Well, you're people-pleasing. You know, there's pressure, isn't there? Mm. Well, for me, it's like I just want to get another gig. Mm. I mean, if they don't book me again, I didn't do I didn't do well enough. But at the minute, I'm lucky. At the minute, I don't know what's happening. I've just hit a little sweet spot, which is nice. But I don't need to know if that that can disappear. Mm. You know. Um, but playing little venues, I always have those people who uh, it, like drunk talks brilliant. You know, pub talk. Mm. You know, the amount of times somebody's like, "I want to change your career. I know someone." There. It's like, okay, right. And for the first while. I'd be like, oh yeah, apparently somebody's got me a gig with Tony Hadley. It's like, they work it up next morning, they, their hangover's kicked in and they don't even remember talking to me. But the amount of people have been, um, I mean, I've had, I've, had, I've had some amazing experiences doing it though. I mean, there's been... Um, I was going to ask where it's took you, I don't know what the... Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's in, into people's lives in the weirdest way. I don't know what it is about Elvis, but it's such a, it's when people... Into Elvis, it's a family thing as well. It's like a religion, isn't it? Yeah, and so it's like generation. I mean, you know, because I thought I'll be playing like old people's homes and stuff. It's like I've done eighteen-year-olds' birthday parties. It's like, you know, what's that about? You know, why would an eighteen-year-old want an Elvis tribute? Um, I did a a young, like a stunning young couple's wedding. They, 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 at the Brampton Holt, you know, they, then they, uh, I was thinking, oh man, why would they want me? They're, you know, when someone's like so cool, it's like they should go to the magazine, these people, everyone there was just like next level. Um, yeah, and they booked me to do uh, Elvis, do a bit of crooning and then do Elvis. Um, funerals, and I did a living wake once. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's the little things. It's like the, it's like the clubs. These little clubs. I mean, I remember <laughs> there's a, there's a place I used to play. I've started playing again in Saint Neots, and when I was starting, I think they probably saved me in my first year, because um, 
I don't know why they turned up at that Chinese restaurant I was talking about. I knew it was, wasn't it? The guy was Simon. Simon wasn't going to keep me around for very long because I would, he said, "I need you to get more famous." It's like, yeah, so do I. <laughs> we need more. We need you to get more famous. And um, and then so these these little table of uh, ladies turned up and uh, and then they run a pub in Saint Neots. And I was like, why are they in Bedford? But they turned they heard about me somehow. I don't know how these things happen. And then so I turned up in a pub in St. Neots and they booked me like four days in a row, like mm. literally in a row. Yeah. And then they booked me the week after that and then they would have me back again and again. And so I'd have to drive to, to this gig in St. Neots and it was, it's still there. It's uh, it's called, I think it's called Hare and, it's Hare and Hounds and they're, they're, they're just the nicest people. And it's one of the things I really regret about when I kind of just just stopped turning I just couldn't turn up to gigs I let them down as well probably a couple of times and I, I remember when I did turn up to one of their gigs they were like astounded by how different I looked they were like bloody hell you know <laughs> you put on some weight it's like yeah who, who ate Paul <laughs> trying to be Elvis too much <laughs> oh no it was, yeah but they were they were nice about it but it was like they were like you know people just mm. looking and go wow something's mm. not right there and then I just, you know, I just, uh, when I kind of sobered up, it was like, I just thought I'm going to start again. I, not consciously, it's just the way it happened. And then when I got on Facebook, it was weird, I got on Facebook day one, day two, someone from the pub found me somehow. And so I, I went back there. But when I go there, it was like, it was a, it was a great little pub, but it was like, it was like, so it was like, it was a weird mix. It was like skinheads, proper skinheads. And then just lots of um, LGBTQ ladies, you know, um, in the same pub, you know, and everyone just getting on like a little community pub. And I was a bit, I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a man's man, you know what I mean? And so they kind of, they kind of treated me like it's like a, not like a pet, but they really took me under their wing. And so if I have ever played at other gigs in St. Neers, the boys would turn up, not to watch me, to kind of. Protect. <laughs> to protect me, yeah. And there's like, I mean, this tattoo here was done by one of them, um, Tommy, Tommy Bennett. And uh, he did that freehand. It wouldn't take any money off me for it. Um, but it's like, you know, so I didn't appreciate just how, um, you know, when I, when I went back there, the love they had, you know, because they'd miss me. And I was like, I wouldn't have thought that. I didn't miss me, you know. So I'm playing there again next month. And they've booked me a few times this year. But you know, there's a there's a place there where I didn't even realise that for seven years they'd been missing me mm. because I played there a lot. You know, when I used to go, and you know, really I was I was doing it because they were paying me, and the bonus was I made some friends. But I didn't realise that just how 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 many good friends I hadn't appreciated, um, and that's happened a lot. There's a lot of, there's a lot of places I lost touch with. Um, where people uh, let me in, as a, I mean, there's house parties and things where it was just nuts, you know, it's just carnage, you know, um, just these events, these these weddings that people invited me to, and they just and they just let made me a part of their, they treat me like family, mm. you know, and some places treat me like flipping royalty, it's crazy, you know. I remember one gig, someone baked me a cake, and I was like. I didn't know what to do with a cake because you know my awkwardness I didn't realise and afterwards somebody went you know you should have really cut that up and gave it to people I'd put it in my car 
what do you do with the cake? They gave me a cake. Now you're supposed to. Oh, what am I going to do with you? You have to. You stand it, then they cut it. I mean, well, it's not my cake then, is it? It's just, it's just so that a slice yeah. of it. Yeah. It's cut it. So I didn't. I didn't realise. I didn't. So it's like stuff like that. I didn't know what to do with. Um, but yeah. So I, it was every time I had. A, I think every time I had a chance to kind of go up a level. I sabotaged, I think, on reflection. Mm. I think I started, in fact, it seems to be um, it's a universal thing that's just occurring to me at this very second. Mm. It's like every time it got good, I would screw it up. You self-doubt, not good enough. Well, I don't you, know. You keep well, saying, fear. you know, I'm not, Yeah. you know, you don't give yourself a lot of credit. You, you know, you say, I'm good, but I'm, you know, I'm not. No, I'm I, think not I, I think I'm a decent, I'm a pub, I'm a pub entertainer, you know. Um, I do, a, it's like a tribute I mean, this is all you ever wanted to do. You didn't. Was your dream originally to be on a, a big? Wasn't to be. You know, so wasn't to be an Elvis impersonator. Well, I did. I didn't tell my friends I was in a band with for a long time. I was doing Elvis because they were like, because I would almost look down on it because I was playing backing tracks and I was a musician, you know, and I didn't even. I did, and people still are like, why don't you play guitar when you're doing it? And part of me's like, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm good enough on guitar anymore to do it. If I'm going to do it, it's got to be right. Um, and I did do a little bit guitar thing at, at, at someone's, someone's leaving do uh, in a little place. I put a few songs together and uh, it, it was the most nervous I've been in years. Just playing, it's like 12 bar blues playing along to a backing track. And I was freaking it. I was like, yeah. And I thought, do I want to go through that every time? But um, yeah, I think I'm a decent... I'm a decent entertainer. I'm not too expensive. <laughs> so. Uh, but I just think a lot, when was, I was talking then, I just think that a lot of people make that mistake. So, I mean, you said originally you wanted to do an Elvis uh, tribute act mm. um, to, to bring some money in. Mm. You, mm. you were achieving that. Was it, that. Yeah. So, there should be no reason for you to, you know, like you should big yourself up. Mm. In that, you know, you look. Oh, I think that's yeah. the other side. It's like, the, I mean, like tonight, if tonight goes the way it usually goes at this place, apart from the driving there and the setting up and bringing down, um, I'll, have, I'll have a lot of fun. Mm. And the fact that people pay me to sing, yeah. it still, still blows my mind. It's a lot of the dream, isn't it? Yeah. It just, it blows my mind. It really, really does. It's, it's you know, um, I would never thought that could happen. Um, I never thought I could stand, and now it's like, you know, I could be in a room and actually talk to a crowd and interact and then because people have started saying um yeah you know the way you you do you work the crowd and i think i'm a i always think i'm a little bit awkward um yeah i don't i don't like that bit i think i feel it because it makes me nervous mm. you know um but maybe it's a combination of stuff i always think my show is if you remember the last bit <laughs> forget the first bit because it's a build up to that big Vegas I mean I do go for it I mean don't get me wrong I do really really work hard to to be to so people think I've earned my money um, I mean I did we, you know I did uh, I really enjoyed did a few theatre shows with um, some friends did the Deco and did uh, the Market Harbour Theatre and my mum and dad got to go with that and there are some songs I mean, things, the songs everyone knows, like My Way. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great song. I mean, you know, it's shooting fish in a barrel. You know, if you <laughs> yeah. can stay in tune for that. But I think um, that's one of those songs, I'm lucky. It, 
it's, it's one I think I do particularly well. You know, I think I'd probably do that better than the average person does it. I wouldn't say that for all the stuff I do. Some of it's like, it's all right. But that one, I, I, can, I, I sometimes smash that one. And I remember being um, Market Harbour Theatre and we'd sold out. It's only 120 seats or so. But so, you know, we've been doing a real mix of stuff like 40s and 50s. And then I was doing My Way and my mum and dad at the front you're looking mum was adoring my mum was like you know the, the most perfect Irish mum you could imagine she's like oh look at me boy I'm tired. oh my god and um, and I'm singing and it's like I know, I know that, you know I was talking about that connection because it fears because in the pub people are talking you know so you're singing and like my mum really gets annoyed with it they should be listening to you <laughs> And it's like, no, they haven't come, it's not, it's, it's a pub. They're having a nice time. They're not offended by the noise I'm making. And if they like it, they'll turn around and listen and they'll go back to their conversation. But in a theatre, you know, it's like that theatre thing. And I'd only done it twice. Um, and so this time, it's because my mum and dad were there, they hadn't seen me the first time. And so I'm doing my way. And, um, and I could just see the connect, it was I could, there, were, there were people who were crying, mm. and and so watching them listen to the words made me listen to the words. And it's like these are beautiful. It's poetry, isn't this stunning language that mm. you know, and the and the melody and stuff. And then I'm watching my dad, and my dad's just like oh, Yorkshire, all in red, just looking up at me, you know, just uh, not really a lot of expression in his face, bit of pride in there, no doubt. And then he just kind of wet wept and um, it was it was a profound moment it was like that connect it was because it was emotional by the end when I was hitting a big note at the end my, I could feel it in my throat I could feel my chest getting tight and it was and it was like a moment afterwards when there was like a there was a pause and then mad applause because that pause is like terrifying as a performer because <laughs> sometimes that's all it is or one clap <laughs> at the back or someone who feels really bad for you, woo, <laughs> you know, mm. and then it, then it was, I know, it's, and it was just like that was real. That was a real thing. And I remember when I, um, I said mine, and my dad was talking to me about it the next day. Because my mum said, "Oh, Steve, when you cried, oh my God, I couldn't believe he cried." And he was like, and he, and he was saying to me, and he said, and it's like it's, it'll always stay with me. Because I'm still not 100% sure what he meant, but I kind of do. He says, I was looking at you singing. I was just looking at you, listening to you. And it, and it were me. And I started crying. <laughs> That's what he said to me. And it was me up there. And I started crying. And I was like, that is the most profound thing. <laughs> and I just don't, I kind of get it. What do you take from that? Well, it's like, what can you take from that? You could take a thousand things from that, but I think it was like, you know, that's a father-son moment where it's like, I don't know if he was like connected so much that he felt like to that. Yeah. And I do, I look, I'm like the dumb of my dad as well. And, um, but also that's his son, mm. you know, up there doing that. And he's, and, you know, my mum and dad, they, you know, they're, they're working class people. They, I mean, you know, they've, they've, they've they, they don't go to theatres and watch performances very often, especially not with their son, you know, mm -hmm. on a stage like that. Um, 
Yeah, it's a big moment. It was a big, big, huge moment for me. And to have him there, terrifying. Um, but um, yeah, to see that, it's like your mum, my mum's, you know, she's an emotional Irish lady, <laughs> so she is, and she, she adores her son. And my dad adores me as well. We have a great relationship. Um, but for him to kind of be moved like that, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I don't think he was as well. I was. It was, and it was a great night. But mm. that moment, I just, it was like time stood. I'm singing to a backing track, in a theatre, you know, and um, it's just, in, it, you know, it's just that see, because I could see every face. I'm seeing people cry when you're singing the song. It's, it's a strange mm. moment. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. The feeling that they're feeling. Yeah, the song. And, and they're listening to the song with you, and it's almost like you're. Yeah, it's it's you're not singing. You in a, in a, it's weird. It sounds pretentious as hell, but you're communicating. So it's like it make if I, it, it makes me. I'm 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 in the song. You know, there's a reason that song lasts the, the, the test of time. It's one of those songs that you can hear and not listen to, but you're you're hearing it. Yeah. But if you really listen to it, it's like my God. I could feel it was like I could it was like I could feel because someone some people say you can't you've got to be you need to be an old man to sing that song properly you've got to have lived you know mm. a, a real life you know and I think now it's you know I have to have I think I've I've done enough to be to to get my because there's lines in there that I feel like mm. you know um Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew, you know, like a bit off more like a cheers, like moments yeah. like, and I'm hearing it and yeah. I'm like saying it like it's for the first time. So there's, there's moments in my, in my set where I think when well, that song's coming and um, yeah, I'm trying not to karaoke it or opera singer it. Mm. I'm trying to sing it and sometimes you just see, I mean tonight in the workingmen's club, you can see like people just sat and they're listening and it's not me. It's because someone wrote an amazing song a long time ago. Yeah, it's it's hard. It sounds pretentious as hell. I get that, but it's a weird. It's a weird moment. It's a real. It's a real intimacy about it. You know, so there's a lot of raw emotion in that song. I think a lot of people can relate to. Mm. You know, it's an emotional song, isn't it? it really gets oh, you. Oh god, yeah. yeah. And it's like, and a lot of people, it was someone they loved who's they've lost favorite song. Mm. That that's yeah. that happens a lot. Reminds them, and yeah, you can see them, and it's like you think, "Wow, the power!" I'm just some bloke stood in front of a speaker playing an MP3, and it's like we're all having a moment, you know. It's That's like, what I like about music. I love music. I, I listen to music twenty four seven, and I just think that um, as I've got older, my memory's not great, and I do forget a lot of things. Um, probably wouldn't even be able to tell you what I did yesterday, but I can hear a song, and it would just take me back. Mm. And I just, I like being in that, I'm present. If you find a song that you love, you're present in that moment, you're in a flow state, you're not worried about time mm. or anything else, and it just takes you to a different place. And I think music's great for everyone, mental health and, you know. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my, 100%. It's like, that's why I like the radio. Because, you know, um, the player song, a song you loved and you didn't even know you loved it until you hear it after yeah. 20 years. So what was it? My my, my boys have got great taste in music, 
Um, and they, like, they put on Huey Lewis, The Power of Love, in the car. And it's just the, the joy that yeah. we have to sing. And then they've, they've introduced me to a load of like, stuff, some stuff out of that. There's, it's like weird because my son Dylan has really eclectic you know, um, music that he listens to. And uh, we, Blake and I um, do take the mick out of him. But he makes a good point. He says, yeah, but if I wasn't playing this great, you wouldn't have discovered. And that the one thing we go, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is really good. Okay, we'll do with this. But yeah. Yeah. It's music. Music's a huge, huge thing. I love it. I use it a lot in mm. the classroom. Old stuff, though. You know, we, we, when I was, we were doing reading the other day, where kids are just working on some reading stuff, and I just put on some old rock and roll, like low in the mm. background, and everyone's kind of like working hard and just nodding away anything. Man, this stuff's still, still great. I think it's great. You said you, uh, you taught at Kingsort. When I was, so when I was at Kingsort, we'd have Mr. Grey, mm. you know, Mr. Grey, the science teacher, is really, really tall. I can't remember him. But he used to have music on yeah. in the lessons, but... Um, me, how much music helped me, I mean, I still didn't do great at school, but I was one of the only children allowed to have headphones. Really? Because if I didn't have headphones, mm. I'd be, I wouldn't be able to concentrate. Mm. So I'd put headphones in, listen to music, and I'd do my work. So then that's why I like music, I think it helps. Mm. Oh God, and it's weird, do you, have you found them... Um music that you were into when you were like 15, 16, and when you listen back to it, it does it still have the same yeah. punch? Yeah. It's like some stuff, some stuff that was in the background for me, there was, I was obsessed with um, Pearl Jam, and I can't listen to it now. Mm. It's just, it just doesn't resonate. And it's stuff that was around that I, I was never really into. It's like, I get this now. It's strange. Mm. It's like, so for me, my music tastes have changed. I mean, I never thought I would like like again my son's got me into talking heads you know and I was around I was like you know it's the music that was around and I just never it never did anything for me and I'm like this is really good so I think my head I've, I've I'm I'm proper Yorkshire I've, my my mind's made up before I've heard something or tasted something mm. oh, I'm not going to like that I'm yeah. not like this <laughs> um, and it's good that I'm, you know, I'm trying to get out of that because I'm an opinionated sod and it's usually pretty pessimistic yeah, as well. I'm the, yeah, I'm the same, yeah. So I grew up with more music uh, that my parents listened to was Motown mm. and my mum, Eddie Grant, mm. Eddie Grant. But then like, I remember my pap used to take me to school every day and he'd have classic golden on mm. the radio and he'd have the likes of like Benny King, Sam Cooke. And I didn't like really like that at the time and I used to get embarrassed because he used to so I used to get him to drop me off like just before the kids are starting walking out yeah. the alleyway so I'll, I'll walk from here but it's funny because I love all them songs now it's crazy isn't it it's yeah. like those songs um, like Sam Cook. I mean it wasn't because I do a couple of Sam Cook, so I can't do a lot because his voice mm. is just next level he, he went like Sam Cook and Otis Redding especially Sam Cook um, there's, there's some, some songs I hear and I think oh, I'd love to be able to sing that really mm. well and I'll do it on my own murder it and it's like I'm never going to be yeah. here. this is just not in my wheelhouse I'm just going to have to appreciate it because um, those guys what a voice all of all that like Temptations Four mm. Tops you know? oh well, yeah I was yeah. obsessed with when I was in my, when I was around 13, 14 I was obsessed with Temptations even learned the dances mm. <laughs> <laughs> probably still do a couple of them 
But like, when you hear that music for the first time and you really start listening to it, it's like, this is great. There's these voices and this yeah. music and it's like, like, there's no downside. Everyone had that double, remember that double Motown tape? Yeah. Everyone had that. And it was just on a loop in, you know, in, in most, most people's cars. That's um, what um, Daniel's pap always talks about. The, um, the, they've all got diction. All got, you can actually oh, yeah. hear oh, yeah. what they're saying and the words and the words a lot of them older songs you actually listen to like you say listen to the words well he used to have lyricists you'd have, a, you'd have someone who wrote it and you'd have someone who wrote lyrics mm. and uh, they're telling a story yeah and the singer's telling a story yeah. whereas these days I don't know there are stories but I don't think it's more relate as relatable I don't know maybe it will do in time but I think it's maybe it's I mean I was listening I was I'm trying to learn a new one is it, and it's only because and I'm not probably not never going to do it live because it's just not a song people know it's a Sinatra song called All The Way and uh, I, and um, I keep discovering new Sinatra songs and he's talking about addiction I mean it's so mm-hmm. I mean the guy's flawless um, but lyrically it's so beautiful like as a love song and what love's about mm-hmm. it's like this is poetry you know um, and I'm going to learn it I'm going to sing it just just for me you know, when I'm like rehearsing to get my voice warmed up, but um, it is it's it's not about it's like it's not him singing about him. It's it, and a lot of singer songwriters now. I always think about I'm not you know it's like I always I always I like I like to pretend I hate Robbie Williams for the kids just so they do stuff like they'll get pictures of Robbie Williams and stick it over in my classroom and stuff. Um, but like you know when he was huge. Like lyrically, you listen to it, and it's like, yeah, that's kind of what's wrong with lyrics now because people are just talking about themselves. Mm. And I feel this, and I wish I felt like that, and um, I don't know what to feel. And the, the the old lyricists would, you know, they were they were poets. Mm. And you text again, take a song like My Way. That was a piece of music knocking around for ages, and then. Um, if somebody, somebody thought if I'm going to write this for Frank Sinatra because I think Sinatra is going to stop singing and uh, what's his name oh my god I can't remember his name um, really really famous singer uh, he, he, uh, he, he didn't want Frank Sinatra to stop singing so he put the lyrics to that and gave it to, so it's a song for Frank Sinatra mm. about Frank Sinatra and sing and, he, and, he, and so Sinatra kept singing for uh, a lot of years after that but it's a piece of poetry, you know, and it's a piece of music. And then you have this guy who's just, you know, he's just lived this and uh, has that talent, has that experience to make this song. I mean, how many people don't know the words to my way? Even young kids yeah. have heard it, you know. It's nuts mm. you think of stuff like that. Or when I do an Elvis gig and, pe- and people go, I didn't think I liked Elvis. If I, honestly, I've heard that a hundred times. I didn't think I liked Elvis, but I realised that I knew loads about Elvis songs. Mm. It's like, yeah, what's that about? I mean, yeah. it's not. Oh, well, I hand up to that. I mean, I never grew up on Elvis. Um, it's not only since, since well, since being with Danielle mm. that I've actually actually listened to some of them. I didn't think I liked him, and then when I listened to some, I mean, if I could dream, mm. probably one of my I'm burning oh, love. Yeah, and, you know that if I could dream. Is one of my it's my, one of my favourite songs. Well, that's like a you know I think the guy who wrote that was thinking oh Aretha Franklin or someone else sing mm. this you know and you hear Elvis do that and it's like because I suppose when you've sung I must have, I think three hundred and fifty singles 
and some of that stuff is phoning in you know I mean I've heard Elvis sing something badly um, uh, but then there's moments when he's you know like when you hear a singer and a song um, and they're just at the height of their powers it's just it's just as win-win it's nothing there's nothing to lose and it's so it's like when you hear Sam Cooke do it um, a change gonna come you know that one mm. uh, that one that the, the opening note of that it's just still gives me chills or like Glenn Campbell and Wichita Lyman you know he comes in it's like oh man it's like something some, it's just like a bit of magic in some of these things you well, know? that was so raw back then as well they didn't have all the technology they had no auto tuning no. so like the musicianship is just next level mm. I mean you think about um, like Tom Jones and if you look at listen to some old Tom Jones like live I mean He's always had a great voice, but his big hits weren't his best vocal performances. Mm. He's like, this, it's some stuff where he tears into this stuff. And you think, where is this voice coming from? And even people like Ingelbert Humperdinck, who I'm not a fan of, but, you know, before Autotune, three octave range, just huge, like, they were just machines. These mm. guys just, you know, hammering out their stuff. Um... Yeah, huge, huge talents, and it, and even when I did those little recordings, uh, those videos, and the guy had to tweak. He went, as a, he says, you're a microtone out, so his ears are like, he's, you know, and it's like, oh my god, you know, he's just, he's just made me sound better than I actually am, and you couldn't have done that before the nineties, you know, I guess. Well, that's what I have a lot with uh, Adele. A lot of people like Adele or, mm. you know, a, a previous in the 90s, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Adele, they, they just stand the test of time because, you know, they, a lot of the time you can say you don't have to be the best singer to, to sell records, which you don't. Mm. Um, but them sort of people test the time because they sing just as well live as they do. But they're, I mean, they're serious voices. When yeah. you think of like, you, you, you know, sometimes you hear a voice and sometimes you just go, who is, who's yeah. that? Happened the other day when I was listening to some, uh, an old rhythm and blues song. And it's like, who's this? It sounds, it's, this guy's like, sounds like a raw Marvin Gaye. And it was like a young Marvin Gaye. It's like, oh, I haven't heard a voice like, mm. nothing modern like that is going to hit that. Those voices, we think, wow, you know, this person hasn't just got a voice, there's something else going on. There's not many of those, you know, I mean, like Adele, I'm not a huge Adele fan, but I mean, what, what a voice. Mm. Um, Whitney Houston, not a huge Whitney Houston fan, but when you hear her, you think, my God, it's just, how she, how does that come out of someone's mouth? And like I feel that. there's a lot of rawness there, that's, mm. that's what I like. Or the emotion, yeah, it's like emotion, you think, yeah. um, somebody, could you, could you fake that? I don't think you can fake that. I think you've just got to have that. You can tell when someone's faking. Have you ever watched um, old Top of the Pops? Yeah. It's on. So sometimes it's, I was watching one the other day and there's some lady on and he's saying, you just look at someone and go, you just, whatever it is, you haven't got it. And uh, it's like, you, you can't work out why. I can't even remember her name. She's written, she's like, she's a big songwriter. She's written songs for people like Mariah Carey and stuff. It's, you know, it comes across yeah. the bottom. But so she's stunningly beautiful. Um, she's wearing some kind of cat suit, like a ginned out body. She's singing far, great, you know, a really good voice. Um, it's not a bad song. And you're just thinking, yeah, I've, I've, I've probably heard this when it first came out. And, I've, and I've, I'm, I still 
feel like I'm this I'm hearing it for the first time. Nothing stuck. But it's just mm. she hasn't got that thing, mm. you know. And when you watch those on top of the pops and you realise how much of it, like eighty five, ninety percent, you just you just it's going down the memory hole, and that ten percent that sticks around, like your George Michaels, you know. I was never a huge George Michael fan until this one recently kind of um, made me listen to some stuff and he says, you should learn some George Michael. And it's like, when I heard it, I thought, I can't, no. This guy's, this guy's really, really, it's live. This guy's mm. really good. There's something going on. He works really hard at, at what he does. But um, yeah, he's a technician, this fella. He's an next so level. Elton John, whatever, Elton John and George Michael song they do together. Oh it's yeah. Amazing. Oh yeah. yeah. Definitely. I mean, Elton John's, I don't know if Elton John's voice hasn't, hasn't maintained. Like when you hear earlier, he sings in a way, actually they both sing in, because it's like certain singers have their, 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 their pocket for songs and Elton John and uh, George Michael, they have, they have like a, wherever their range is, so it's like they're not a typical key. So Elton John writes to, to his voice. It's, it, it's so exciting when I try to sing an Elton John song. I sound crap, it just sounds wrong. Um, and when I try to sing a, a George Michael song, it's kind of, you think, it's, yeah, it's in key, but it's just not. No one's going to want to hear this. You're not going to want to hear this twice, you know? And there's quite a few singers, so it's finding, it's like, it's finding, it's finding, uh, like Elvis is in my sweet spot, you know? Yeah. Because he's a baritone, he sings as a tenor. And there's a couple of people like that, I think, um, Michael Bublé is a baritone yeah. who sings as a tenor, so it's like I haven't—I'm not a baritone, but uh, so you know, you can hear like that. These, they've got this deep power that comes out. Like I'm not a huge Michael Bublé fan, but I think he's uh, technically—he yeah. sounds auto-tuned live. Yeah. I mean, that's how good he is. But yeah, he's got—he, you know, some voices just don't do it for you but I think he's I think he's an incredible technician mm. I think he's amazing what he does and I can see why people think you know really like him but it's just yeah I find it hard even from trying to learn a Michael Bublé song um, I can't you know because I've got to listen to a song and repeat so I'm so sick of it you know I can't do that with him <laughs> so I end up switching it off He's like he's got that sort of rawness style like a you know a modern day Frank Sinatra mm. if he was but he's done the gigs you say you see these like uh, performers I don't know if Adele because it's like she was at the Brit school wasn't she so you have these these, these people who are hot house and it's like oh these are talented they hit those auditions and they go to this place and they've got the record because record producers are sort of lazy it's like when you used to want to be in a band if you didn't play Camden you weren't getting a record deal because that's where all the A&R men mm. used to go, <laughs> go drinking so you had to do those. That you had to get on that circuit. You know, it's really it was, that's what everyone had to do because these guys might be there. Um, but now you've got you know these 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 hot houses for talent. It's, I mean, and the thing is, you've got to be good to get to these places. So Adele, I mean, she's a shoo-in for someone like that. Um, but then has she done the the you know Bublé's pl played thousands of gigs before he got anywhere. And died in his ass a hundred times, a thousand times. Um, I'm sure you know uh, a lot of music. Yeah, that's how you learn. That's how you learn to get better. Because it's get, coming back from a duff. Oh mate, it's, it's lonely. I remember playing at the Building Acrodrome. I was terrified. 
like I got in and there was a, this big traveller party on and I remember I had my sideys and this guy just picked me up by my sideys <laughs> as I walked in and I was like oh my god and it's like I was just terrified I thought and uh, I was, and it's like you better be good now fella. you better be good now um, and I was alright I was alright but I wasn't wasn't very good and I remember just feeling like it's lonely you mm. know I'm, I'm stressed like an absolute tip <laughs> going for it and no one listened because I, I wasn't good enough you know I didn't know how to I wasn't talking to the crowd I was just singing and dancing um, and after that every time that happened that happened a lot it was like I'm never doing this again and then somehow doing it again and then thinking right I remember how this happened last time how can you know how can I turn it around yeah it's just it's horrible gets there though I, I think it gets to the stage where it's like teaching <laughs> um, like when you're training to teach you, it's like you're not getting better at teaching you're just more resilient to mm. putting up with to, to failing and it's like right that didn't work I've had some classes that chewed me up every day every single day I remember at Mirway there was one year 11 class and from the moment I walked in there it was like a year of it was hellish, really. And I'm trying to get my head around the fact that the rest of my lessons of the day have been fine. This class was going to ruin me. So I go in, and there's three girls. I'll never forget, I won't say their names, but I still remember this girl's name. I never saw her face for a year. She would turn around, face the back of the wall, and do, do, her, do makeup on her mates. Wouldn't respond to me. There's another lad who went and he just sat, arms folded in front of me, and he just called me the C word a thousand times. Lesson one. He just said it uh, uh, over and over again. And this other girl just said, man, oh, you're not as fit as the other guy. <laughs> she actually hurt more. I don't know why. But yeah. And so I remember, I just remember like fighting with that class every single day. And um, right, I didn't work. I'll try something else. I didn't work. I didn't try it. And it's like gigging. Mm-hmm. And it failed all the way through, I think. I maybe had out of a year and we had three alright-ish lessons but usually because that girl was off or that guy who called me the C word was off um, but yeah failed every day with that class every single day and just came back in and I think that's what a lot of teaching is it's how you respond to it it's not the Try, but keep going thrown at you it's how you respond to it so learning but, but, to respond but also not giving up because yeah. you could because you could just go I saw it and I'll just go in and it's like guys I'm just going to put Netflix on mm. and I'm just going to sit here you hate me I hate you yeah. <laughs> it's like you know in your head that, that you know um, it's definitely a thought of flies through there but mm. it's like no you just got to you just got to push and then and that's not sustainable is it you can't do that forever and, and you're not, well, you won't progress and you're not yeah. growing are you but then it's also known that sometimes you can do everything I think that's the biggest thing it's like with gigging it's like singing because I, I got to I got to a stage where it's like okay there's a few songs I know, especially for Elvis fans. Um, if if I need, and you know, there's a couple. Of, there's a couple of hard Elvis songs that a lot of singers don't do, and um, and I think if I need to get their attention, I'll throw these out, mm. and then if I'll I'll, I'll do them and I nail them, and there's still nothing. I'm like, okay, it's not me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, tonight it's not. It's just one of those nights, because some some nights. Um, it's someone like who's playing in a band, you know. Some, some, it's like sometimes that it's just the thing that you need. It just isn't there. It's like whatever's in the air, and you can't. You can blame the crowd. You can blame the sound. You can blame 
all those things, except sometimes when it goes really well, you've had a crap sound, <laughs> you know, you've got a sore throat and the crowd love it. And there's nights when you think, I'm singing really well tonight and there's nothing. Yeah. Um, I think Oasis was saying, it's like they, every three gigs they do a duffer, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of like that. Sometimes you do everything right and it's still not there. Yeah. It's the same with teaching. Um, although if you try to phone it in, I find if I'm, um, if I'm doing a lesson, you know, because you can't with lessons and think, well, this is a good lesson. And because I reckon out of four lessons, one of those has got to be something interesting. Um, at least one out of four. I say, oh, I'm going to do that. This lesson always goes down well. But if, you, if I haven't thought through it or looked over the materials enough that I've made, if, it's like telling, you ever told a joke that's falling flat? Because you've kind of forgot the thing. Yeah, you haven't. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like, oh, I forgot the, the thing that yeah. made this really good. It's like, you know, I, I've, I phoned it in. I thought, oh, I've done this a load of times, it'd be fine. And it wasn't fine. It was just, it was like, it was, it was all right. Um, and it's, it's like it's like rehearsing. If, if, I, if I'm going to sing a song and I don't know it inside now, and if I think, yeah, I think I know the words for this. Um, massive, that's true. Because you forget, just the nerves make you... Because if you start, if you think about what the next line is, sometimes when I'm singing Viva Las Vegas, I do think, what's the next line? <laughs> and it just comes out my mouth, but it's like, it's like, it's a moment where it's like, it might not. And I think, I've got to stop thinking that in this song, because it's making me forget the song, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a strange it's a strange thing for sure like rehearsing and feeling prepared and then being confident but not too confident and being confident but not cocky because cocky is really unattractive to the yeah. crowd as well yeah um, two different things there aren't they yeah well that was the end of the episode and I want to thank you for listening I hope you took some from our conversation today please follow or subscribe the link to the Instagram page will be in the description. Please feel free to DM me if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast.